I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Give me one reason to stay here, and I'll turn right back around. Said I don't want to leave you lonely You gotta make me change my mind Welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast, where we are currently stuck between watching our favorite baseball team catastrophically destroy itself from the inside and also realizing the opportunities for us to create tremendous content out of it. Uh, In the last week alone, a Lookout Landing commenter watched a YouTube video from a channel that had two, count them up, two (laughs) subscribers, leading them to link the video in our comment section, which caused this whole avalanche to get going. Uh, So today, as we record, we have no Kevin Mather, the former president of the Seattle Mariners, who has now resigned. Excuse me, excuse me. Please use his title. Disgraced former Mariner president Kevin Mather, who now resigned. Uh, We don't have him. We do have a pissed off Jared Kalanick, who told USA Today that he was extremely disappointed with the Mariners' manipulation of his service time and said that not getting a chance to play in the big leagues last year was so beyond frustrating as well as other juicy quotes that I'm sure we'll get to later. So today, to dissect, unpack, and unwind from an exhausting 96 hours of Marinering, we have Lookout Landing Zone, Kate Prusser and John Troopin. Kate, John, thank you for canceling your meeting with the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club to be here today. (laughs) No problem. I hope that the listeners can tell that was the most writing I've ever done for any one of these intros. I put some effort into that one. <laughs> I wanted to get some shots in, uh, get some jokes up. But Kate and John, how are you doing? Before we introduce our guest, I want to just take your temperature and make sure y'all are doing okay. I'm painting my nails currently for the fourth time in the last uh, 96 hours because it's my stress reliever. So that's a, uh, and it's, it's, Either that or drink a case of White Claw. So that's where I am. Yeah, I uh, I saw my nephew the, uh, yesterday who was really excited to talk to me about James Paxton being back. And I did not really have the heart to tell him that that was not the main <laughs> Mariners news that was on my mind. So uh, it's been an interesting few days. It sure has. It sure has. I like a, I will do like a morning coffee run or grocery run, whatever, you know, and usually my hair is all everywhere. So I throw a hat on. And I reached for my Mariners hat and I was like, you know what? Not today. Let's go with a different hat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I want to be yeah. supporting the team as no. publicly. I, I've been wearing um, my, my Javelinas hat pretty pretty <laughs> consistently the last couple of days. I do not blame you. But as I hinted at, and as you probably noticed in the episode description that you clicked on, today we are joined by a very special guest, someone with not only a unique perspective and insight into this particular situation, but on the Mariners franchise as a whole. He's covered the team since 2006, I believe. Uh, one of the more plugged-in people on the entire planet when it comes to the Seattle Mariners. It is Seattle Times beat reporter, the self-proclaimed Scorsese of spring training videos, Ryan Divish. Ryan, are you okay? What's going on with uh, you? I am, I am good. I appreciate the uh, 
Scorsese of spring training videos. I, we were, I felt like I was a mile and a half away taking videos today, but you know, it's not like our usual access where we get up right next to the cage and, and all that stuff. But you know what? It was 81 degrees here. I went for a run. I sat by the pool. I went to Barrio Queen and got top chili verde pork tamales with a couple Dos Equis lagers. I mean, I, I've had worse days considering when I woke up this morning, I almost embedded my phone into a wall when I saw that <laughs> Brody, when I saw that Brody Schofield and Jared Kelnick had talked to Bob Nightingale, who I referred of to all as people. Yeah, I referred to as Bingo Bob on a um, group text, um, and and I was like upset, and because I have talked to Brody a couple different times uh, last year when he was very frustrated about the situation. Talk to Jared as well. And so, um, you know, I, I was in the moment that the Kevin Mather stuff came out, I sent Brody a message. I sent him another message. And I mean, I basically went Internet stalker on him trying to get a hold of him. Felt like I had the wrong phone number. I mean, this is like I felt like I had the wrong phone number because nobody was answering my calls. And so, you know, I was taken back a lot to my eighth grade days in Haver, Montana, when I was calling girls at the Catholic school that I went to and none of them would answer my calls either. So, um, yeah, so I dealt with that and had to write, you know, and nothing like, look, I'm competitive and, and scoops die in 30 seconds in this world. But Bob, Bob had it. I mean, kudos to him. He had it. Um, and nobody else had it. And I guess that was the guy that Brody wanted to go with. And, you know, mm. regarding I, the giving of kudos to Bob Nightingale, you I know absolutely do not have to give them. I know, them. but I mean, he has it, you know, and, 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 um, I mean, he didn't mess it up either. I mean, cause the, like that one of our other, one of the other writers, like it was, he goes, it was 40, 60 or 60, 40. He was going to mess something up in that. And I was like, yeah, I go, it's not Twitter, dude. He has editors, but, um, yeah, I, so like the, my morning was not good and I was, I was highly pissed off. And, you know, like I said, I, my phone has taken a beating over the years and it, it took all I had not to whip it against the wall. One, this is not, I am in Arizona. It's not my apartment. Um, so I shouldn't do that. And two, like my insurance rates on my phone keep going up because, apparently Assurian doesn't believe that when they're met with a high rate of speed, that it's an accident. Like when they meet an object at a high rate of speed, it's an accident. And so, um, yeah, so that was, that was my day. Yep. That's definitely been a, a good, a good summation of kind of where we are. I just got a new phone, so I was not whipping it against the wall this morning, but I did wake up and say out loud, when will the Mariners stop ruining my breakfasts? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they're, they're getting it in early. It's very early in the morning, at least. So we have all day to sort of deal with things, but it is getting annoying. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, like I said, I texted Brody so often, and and then I texted um, the Mariners and talked to the Mariners, and they were planning to make Jared available today. Like that was their whole plan. Jared was going to talk, just get out and talk about it, like one time only. And instead, they kind of went the other route, and then. You know, the Mariners went to him today to ask him to talk to the local media. He said, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'm guessing he figured, you know, he said what he said. He doesn't have to say it anymore, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And that, and that's fair on some level that, like, he probably doesn't want this hanging over him. But, I mean, like, the manipulation of it all, you look at it, like, you know, Brody is smart. He's a good agent. And you put that out there and you have Jared talk about it, it's fresh. You have a guy basically admitting service time manipulation 
on the record in a video to a bunch of crazy Rotarians, and now you have something. So, like, if Jared Kelnick even hits 240 in spring, pops a couple homers, do they have to put him on? If they don't put him on, are they scrutinized for – are they accused of service time manipulation? You know? I mean, like, I don't know how it works. I, I'm just – I mean, I know I know the game. I've been doing this for a long time about how agents work and and um, and such and off the record conversations, many. Um, and I know what blatant service time manipulation is, um, despite some people on looking at landing <laughs> saying otherwise. And I said it because look, 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 let's just before we get in. I mean, so like, yeah, I. I'll, I'll throw it out there because it's like, you know, now that Brody's talked about it, whatever. I, and I wrote it in our story today. So in, in about July, Jerry DePoto went on um, MLB Network and they were they asked about Kelnick and, and why he wasn't up. And Jerry started talking about development and all this stuff. And I get a message from Brody. He's like, we need to talk. And, and, and Brody just kind of laid out everything that I some of it, which I already heard. But he just kind of said a bunch of stuff like the that they had offered a contract extension. It was more than Evan White, but they felt it was insulting. Um, and they felt like, you know, that um, they're using like not being not calling up as a way to get him to sign. Um, you know, and they they were irritated because Jerry kept bringing up developmental aspects of it. And they felt there was no development going on at the alternate training site, like beyond, you know, like Jared would get his seven at bats in one, in one inner squad game and torment poor LJ Newsom half the time and hit rockets <laughs> off of him, you know, and, and, and they just felt like this wasn't fair that like, if they truly cared about, and then this is like Brody says, like if they truly cared about Jared Kelnick developing into a big league player, they would put him in left field instead of Tim Lopes. I mean, I think it was a yeah. direct comment. And so, you know, like I was, you know, and, and, and I didn't write it like exactly like that. I mean, I, I waited and wrote it in a mailbag where I solicited a question from one of my friends and wrote it. And, <laughs> and, and it was true because I watched those alternate training site workouts. It wasn't great. You know, like, yeah, it was better than nothing, but it wasn't great. And it wasn't like super beneficial. It wasn't yet, anything that was going to advance him or no, give him new skills. No. Which is the point of development. Yeah. And, so. I, and, I, and I knew all the reasons why. Like, look, one day last year was worth three. And, and the th season was kind of a throwaway. And I don't think that they expected to be one game, one and a half games out with ten games to play or whatever. I don't think they expected that. And so they, you know, that meeting was correct. They told Jared Kelnick when summer camp was over, like, you're going to the alternate training site and you're not coming up. No matter what, regardless of the deal, you're not coming up. This is the way it is. Now, I don't know if the word service time was used, but I mean, I think the implication was there. It's just like, look, we want you here. We want you to develop, but we don't think it's the right time for you to make your debut. You know, and, and he was upset and, and he let him know about it. And, you know, I don't blame him. And I understand from the Mariner standpoint, like, look, the morality of it is wrong. But at the same time, the business side of it is is right on some level, if they put Jared Kelnick on the opening day roster, he's a free agent after 2025. If they, It's not just manipulating his service time yeah. either, but if they put him on the, they rob his, they rob themselves yeah. really of selling tickets for his debut. I yeah. think that's an under underrated oh, yeah. aspect of this. Oh, and really a... something they could have leaned on too. We want you to debut with all the fans in the stands. We want you to debut with, 
you know, pomp and circumstance. We want the fans of Seattle to really, if they had leaned on that aspect instead of the development one, which everyone could see was clearly bullshit, I think that doesn't repair it, but that's more defensible to me than calling it development. Yeah, and I, I think he felt, and I, you know, Brody kind of communicated that to me, is I think he felt like that that him not coming, uh, that them not bringing him up and making that decision was some sort of, retribution for him refusing to sign the extension you know and the extension from what i was told like i said it was it was closer to eloy jimenez than it was evan white but like they felt like it had jared got the 60 games in he would have shown enough where he could have started dancing in ronald acuna territory maybe they do maybe they don't but that's what they thought and before you know so even before that though and like this whole service time argument and I was just reminded of it because I kept listening to that part when Kevin Maller talks about, you know, if, if we had a COVID outbreak or whatever, we're not bringing those guys up. You'd see my big tummy in the out in left field. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I had this conversation with Kevin Mather in the press box at T-Mobile. Like he came up to me and again, like I, I've, I wrote and I've said it before. He has no filter um, on the record, off the record. He has minimal filter. He says what he thinks. He says stuff, you know, kind of like a late, you know, mid or late fifties white guy talks in probably not the most politically correct way, but I, we were up there, I think at one of the workouts or one of the last inner squad games. And I, I said to him, I was like, you know, uh, Jared, uh, Jared's going to make this decision tough. And he looks at me, he goes, you really, you know, it's really not that tough. And he goes, you know, all the reasons why, um, it's not tough for us. Uh, he goes, we have to think about the long term of this rebuild and that doesn't do us any good. And, you know, he's like, this is off the record. He's like, you know, well, he goes like, he's not going to come up this year. He goes, I just, there's not a way he's going to come up this year. This is not beneficial for us. And we don't think it's beneficial for him. And I'm kind of sitting there, I was like, yeah, but, and he's just like, no, it's, we're just not going to do it. And he says, you have a better chance of playing left field than he does. And I was like, that's oh where God. I remembered it. And so I was like, oh yeah. And then I, then I recall later in the year, I think Larry had written that column, you know, when they were one and a half games back or whatever, and Larry said, you need to call yeah. up Logan Gilbert and Jerry Kelnick. Mm-hmm. And Ke- Kevin, I saw Kevin, and he said something like, you can tell Larry he can write all he wants. We're not calling him up, especially not going to call him up now. If we didn't call him up earlier, you know, if we didn't call him up after the after the 17 days or whatever he goes, we're not calling him up for 10 days. And I was like, technically, though, you can make those days up next year if you really were that. He goes, oh, we're just not doing that. He goes, we're not doing that. He hasn't played in games. He goes, well, he's like, he goes, well, he hasn't played in games all year. Why is he going to think he's good? I go, well, that's he hasn't played in games because you didn't call him up to start the season. And he's just like, we're not doing it. And so, you know, that's why, like, I mean, like, look, I if I write something definitive, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty steadfast and sometimes, like, how I report my stories in that, um, you know, I don't insert my own opinion. I might add a little analysis, sometimes a little more colorful or a little more snarky. Or as Jerry DePoto once told me, it's death by 1,000 snark comments. Um, but I, like, I have a basis for, if I'm, if I'm a writing that it's service time manipulation, there's a reason why I'm writing it. You know, like, I, I you know, when it came to Jerry Kelnick and not going to, the fact that they were not going to call him up, at all in 2020 and it was based on service time more than anything and that the fact that they certainly didn't want him on the open day roster where he would be a free agent after possibly be a free agent after 2025 i think it is 
they, you know, like I can write that because I know the people I'm talking to, you know, and it's and like Kevin later verified it. So, and it's, it's a weird dance because I don't know that he, the kid was ready. The reason that he looked so ready last year is because of the god awful roster they brought to the player pool because they brought all these yeah. prospects in. So then when you got Jake Fraley, who had bulked up and then got heavy in the shutdown, and then Braden Bishop played so poorly in summer camp that he wasn't even a consideration. Mm-hmm. And then so all of a sudden you've got Tim Lopes and Dylan Moore playing the outfield next to, to Kyle Lewis. Well, yeah, then it Oh, really... don't forget left fielder Jose Marmaleos. Oh, yeah. That was my favorite part. Yeah, Jose Marmaleos, and I think Shed Long got an appearance. And then, you know, the rotting corpse of Phil Irvin. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that, that's what made it look so substantially worse is they didn't have anybody. You know, yeah. even in, in like, and, you know, some of that falls on Fraley and Bish and those guys. They just didn't play well enough to maybe deserve it. And, but, you know, I, I guess Sam Hagerty looked good and Dylan Moore looked great in left field. Now he's the starting second baseman. I was like, he looked great in left field. And now he's the starting <laughs> second baseman. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just know that like when I wrote it about that stuff, I, I mean, like I was confident because you don't write that stuff like about service time and knowing that they're doing it unless you know for certain. And, and I, I talked to enough people, just not just Kevin Mather in the upper levels of the Mariners organization that, that, it is a consideration, you know, it is a consideration. And, and like, I mean, like it is, it sucks. And morally, if you think about it, it's wrong and it's what the fans want to see and all that stuff. But if you look at it from a pure business and baseball standpoint, there is, they should have never called him up last year. If it's one day, if, if one day equals three days of service time, it would have been, you can't lose that kid at 20. You can't lose that kid at 26 years old. You cannot. You need him to be there. That's prime baseball time. And he is a kid that believes he's going to be good and going to get paid. And he wants to be on that open market to really get paid. Um, I know I know. Matthew has some questions written up. But I, I do want to, especially on Kalnick, just get your sense of it. Um, do you think the Mariners underestimated or misappraised his sort of character not not in terms of like just just like the degree of which i would say he like was so maybe competitive and jared so, kelnick has told us all along who he is and then the yeah. mariners are like seemingly acting in a way that doesn't <clears throat> meet him where he is or doesn't away the things that they're saying are not seemingly tailored to jared kelnick as a person as a, does that kind of get at what you were to, asking well yeah well like i, I remember the there was a eric longenhagen for fangraphs wrote and and compared him to jimmy butler which is like i've never seen any baseball player ever compared to jimmy butler in terms of like in the world of major league baseball this guy might be too competitive like that that is a wild wild concept and and it seems like this is probably not the guy you you know, or or the sort of group that you are going to treat the same as you would treat everyone else and have good outcomes. So there was this story about Kelnick when he first came to the Mariners. Um, they had the I think it was um, like a, a minor league mini camp or something during spring training, right before spring training started, and they were there. You know, obviously they ran the mini camp side by side because they needed those guys for big league spring training games. So Kelnick comes in, and they had the velocity machine cranked up to, like, 100 miles an hour. And all these kids are in there, and um, 
and, and they're struggling. I think even you know, like Julio and stuff. There, a lot of these guys are struggling with it. You know, just struggling to make contact or you know, like even foul pitches off. So Kellenick's in there, and he's kind of looking around, and he walks up, and he's whistling. He's just whistling a little tune and chewing gum and whistling. First pitch, rocket straight back up the middle. Next pitch, <laughs> rocket straight back up the middle. Hit like three or four more, walked out. He goes, why do you guys think this is so hard? And like, you know, oh, and that's when they should have known. I'm like, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, Look, like so. But, and this is my favorite story, Kellen. Like the smell you later day at Safeco. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> so the smell you later day. Okay. Before that, even before that. Okay. So I'll say this. I I told my friend this. Like the day, you know, the the one video I have where he hits that ball and the coaches are like, oh my god, or whatever, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and like, because we don't we weren't down the field and it's like from the dugout. Mm-hmm. I I'll give you one guess who sent it to me. His his first name starts with J and his last name starts with K. It was during he sent it during the inter squad game. I might add, got it from the coach, got it from the coach, and then sent it to me. And like the only reason I can say it is because service totally busted him for doing. Because service asked me on a live Zoom call where I got the video, and I was like, oh, sources. And he's like, sources from Wisconsin. I go, you didn't send me the video, you know. And so, like, you know, like the other coaches said, like, you know, Jared, I took the video. Jared got it from me, and he must have sent it to Divish. But, yeah, so, like, when he did the smell you later day, so he's talking, you know, and he's smell you later and this and that. And, I, you know, he's like, I'm ready right now. I deserve to be up and all this stuff. And just it was so just not what, like, you're supposed to say, which was so great. And so we're sitting there. And, you know, like I was Zoom, he gets up and leaves the Zoom thing, but they didn't shut off the Zoom meeting and the, the mics are still on in the clubhouse. And I, Greg Johns is down the way and I just go, I love that kid. And in the <laughs> background, Jared, Jared yells, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I mean, so like, but again, like have a little court awareness. Like if you go in and lowball low Jared Kelnick with an Evan White off or whatever, I'm not mm-hmm. taking away from Evan White, but like. Know the room. Know who you're talking with. Yeah. Like, and also know his agent, because Brody is like Boris Jr. You ain't you ain't gonna get like they're not settling. Like yeah. when you get you know if you're an agent and you get a guy like this, you ain't telling him to settle. And so I, I, I was totally it. stunned by all. I was I was like stunned when like they told me the offer and it was verified and everything. I was like, yeah, that's not really good. That all that does is put the chip on the kid's shoulder, make him more competitive and more angry at what you're doing to him. When he's already so... Comp- yeah. I wonder a little bit, like... I always think about Kelnick's uh, developmental path and him coming up and just being a star on Team USA. I mean, he can hit 100 miles an hour because he's been... Fa- His whole development was facing that from these top, top, top prospect arms. He was on the showcase circuit. I mean, Kyle Lewis was... Is great, but he didn't have the same forged in fire on the prep circuit. That's not something the Mariners have drafted. Like, they've not gone after that blue chip, mostly because they haven't been able to pick in that, in, in the area where those guys are available. And I just wonder if, like, their lack of experience with that kind of personality is impacting how they relate with him. Yeah, I mean, like, I love Evan White and Kyle Lewis, and, and though he's developing it more... And Logan Gilbert's a nice guy. They don't have that, like, edge. You know, like, Jared Kelnick has an edge no, to him. Like, 100. there is just, yeah, they're just, <laughs> They're like, not person. I mean, they're not the, it's, 
it's a cult of personality almost yeah. with Jared, which is funny because the whole Mariners, you could argue, are founded around the cult of personality Boringness. with Jerry DeBoto. Yeah. Like, no, Jared, yeah. Jared flies in the face of everything that they want, and they can sit there and say, we want them to be their own person and stuff, but in the, at the same time, Andy McKay is reading a self-help book going, how do I deal? It's like the, how do I deal with someone else's success? You know, it's like, holy cow. Because it's... It's so true. Like, he just flies in the face of everything that they kind of Let us know for. when Andy McKay picks up, what was that book, Working with Difficult People. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Like, Andy would always, hey, have you read this or stuff? He goes, hey, I'm following some of Steve Kerr's books, and you read this, you know, because he knows I like to read. And then he was always just on me because he was like, oh, you know, East of Eden isn't Steinbeck's best book. I was like, no, just reread it again. It's, it's the best. <laughs> um, but... But yeah, and I'll give him that. But like, yeah, it's just it. Jared is different, and I, and I think, you know, and I and I I know Scott knows this, and I think Scott probably gets it better than most because he has to deal with it, and Scott reads every freaking self help and coaching book in the world. But like, you can't you can't coach everybody the same. You cannot, and what works with certain guys is not going to work with others. And I think, you know, I know the Mariners want to build this culture, but the culture has to be able to accept all things, you know, like I don't like, and I hate the comparison of the Seahawks or anything like that, but Pete Carroll allows guys to be who they are until it's to the point where it's detrimental to the team. He says, now your ass is gone. And I think, you know, while the, the Mariners often say we want them to be who they are, they don't really like it when they are who they are. If it doesn't fit the kind of narrative or the kind of pattern that they want, but when you're as good as Kalanick, it don't matter. Like, I was just talking with some sources tonight. Like, if he's as good as everybody expects him to be, he can do whatever the hell he wants, and he can say whatever the hell he wants. You know why? Because he's better than anybody they've had. And well, that's, that's that's the difference. Well, and, and that's sort of the challenge they have, right, is, like, not only are they a, a, a team that has not had success in in decades, in, yeah. in, a, in a meaningful sense, but – Pretty much no one on their roster has had like the best players on their team are a guy who hasn't played in two years in Mitch yeah. Haniger and Marco Gonzalez who is great but is a pitcher and is also like you know no one would pick as like well a top it's because he's very boring. Well, yeah, and oh I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Right. I, definitely, I mean, like, I definitely want to get into those comments. Yeah. But yeah. also, like, I, I'm curious to ask you, Ryan, about how you feel like the other players relate to Kelnick, because we have talked to some, and yeah. everyone I've talked to has been like, "Man, that kid is a lot, but that kid is really good," which is very different than the things I heard about Tyler O'Neill, which is that kid is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that Nick, talent Nick, level. Nick Franklin, Tyler O'Neill, yeah. DJ Peterson, you know, those yeah. guys were a lot without oh, like, like, without the, the skills to back yeah. it up. I have, I want to tell you if you didn't see it, um, somebody, I don't know who fuzzy from YT is, but he has like 30,000 followers. So he must be a, a thing, Jeez. but he tweeted, Jared Kelnick dropped a nuke on the Mariners today. He basically said, y'all have sucked for 20 years. You need me. And that was the beyond frustrating quote. Yeah. Uh, and that was retweeted by Ty Adcock, the Mariners' uh, uh, high, not a high, high draft choice, fifth I guess. Pick, but fifth round went, pick a couple years fifth, ago. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so that's high. So, yeah, yeah he, he retweeted that, which I thought was pretty brazen. 
Well, here's the thing that like Jared Kelnick and Julio, they have they weren't alive when the Mariners were good. Like they don't have any sort of like their frame of reference is so different. Like we're getting into the Gen Z era of prospects where like their whole life has been on the internet. So if they're good, like Jared and Julio are, they're like, Oh, I can show people on the internet how good I am without having to go through third parties. Like, you know, they have their own YouTube channels and all that. And like sure that would rub people the wrong way. But like we've been saying, if you're this good like if you know if you can back it up, might as well do that. And I think more prospects are going to follow this mold of like I'm going to talk my talk because I know I can back it up. Yeah, I mean like you know players are different today, but in the end, like the whole game recognizes game. I mean like that's the thing. Like players recognize other players that are talented that can do things that they can't do. So and you're that are going to help them get a ring maybe yeah. someday, right? Yeah, like, I mean, even I'm, like I would be invested in Jared Kelnick's success if yeah, I was his teammate. Yeah, I mean, and like even like somebody like Seager, I guess you know Seager and Kelnick have kind of started to bond a little bit in the last little few, last three or four days. I would but, absolutely pay Netflix a billion dollars yeah, for that I mean, buddy like, comedy. I, yeah. I, I want to see them just out there experiencing Peoria together. Make that happen. You know, because I think one thing is, is like, yeah, Kellenic is kind of cocky and brash or arrogant in a way. But it isn't as off-putting, again, because he's good. Like, when when Nick Franklin was on the team, like, I thought there was going to be mutiny. You know, you know, like, because he, he wasn't very good. And, he, you know, while he hit, like, he kept making all the – remember, he couldn't catch a pop fly. It's like second yep. base. He just said, and, and uh, <laughs> Joe, yep. I, I, you know, spider web elbow tattoo. Yeah, and, well, I mean, he, like my buddy Todd Dibus, who covers the Nationals now, just lived for the fact that Nick Franklin had his name and script tattooed across his back, and like Todd's like, is he gonna forget? Like, like, is he worried? Like, why doesn't he just ta- why doesn't he tattoo a social security number on his arm just in case? You know, like, but uh, yeah, it, you know, Joe Saunders hated that guy. Oh my God, it was crazy. But yeah, I like. Kelnick, I think the, the the swagger and the cockiness is somewhat endearing. Yeah, I, I'm sure, like, if, if he sucks and he's playing bad and he's still acting like that, somebody's going to say something real quick. But you produce, if you produce, you can get away with a lot of stuff. If you're good, you can say a lot of things you want to say because, like, you can do things that other people can't. And that's something that baseball players truly recognize. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he, he seems like the kind of guy who's like, you would hate him on the other team, but like if he's on your team, you you can you can handle it. Oh, it's like no, it's like the AJ Perzinski thing, thing yeah. that Ozzy Guillen said. Like you know, when AJ's on the other team, you really hate him. When he's on your team, you hate him just a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> but not a Nick Swisher thing. I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. that clip. Yeah. Oh God. Um, so Ryan, I guess the next logical question here, and you're lucky enough to be around the team. I know COVID has made it harder to get full access, but like, what is the, what is the next step? How do they repair these relationships? Do the Mariners, you know, the Mariners themselves, at least Marco Gonzalez has said, we see this as an isolated incident. Like Mather doesn't represent everyone here. And like, obviously part of that is Marco being the team leader, you know, putting the fires out. But like, do you have any sense of how, the organization feels both the players who were insulted and now the Depotos, McKays who have to clean up the mess that was left behind. Yeah, I don't, it's it's a weird deal. Yeah, obviously we're not there, so I don't I don't get my like when I'm in the clubhouse. You know, you get the off the record conversations a lot, and and I'm not somebody who likes to text players a lot um, because I just don't. You know, it's just a weird d- dynamic. I mean, I, I have their numbers, or I have them on DM or whatever. I can text them. 
or message them. And sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. But like I always tell them, like if I'm messaging you, it's it's for something relatively important. I'm not gonna just ask you, hey, what'd you think of the Duke game tonight? You know, um, <laughs> but it's like like Stanton, Stanton and Depoto and all those guys just espouse this whole idea, like oh yeah, like our players know that we're not like this and. They have the respect of the coaching staff and the, the front office other than Kevin Mather, and they know that's just not this, and it's not going to be a problem. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't believe that for a second. I know that's not the case. Like, you know, I mean, there's eye rolls from Jerry. When Jerry talks, there's plenty of eye rolls from players, and there's plenty of eye rolls from players when Scott talks. I think sometimes I think they get tired of listening to Jerry and Scott talk a lot about all the things they're going to do or want to do and this and that. When at the end of the day, like if you're really trying to build a culture within the organization and at the, the levels you want, you, you can't have some middle-aged white dude telling you to do it. It's got to be another player telling you to do it. And so like you have somebody like Kendall Graveman, who I know spoke up at that meeting, the main meeting and said, look, look, this and that, you know, we're going to handle this our way. He's like, we're done with the front office stuff. We're not doing with this. You know, this is our team that we handle our business. And, and, you know, I was texting with a player and I just said, you know, the, you know, just talking about the last days and stuff. And, and, and I said to him, I was like, you know, it's, it's kind of BS how they treated Taiwan when they announced that they, you know, they made it so clear they want to go bring him back and they, they kind of dicked him around and he ends up, you know, signing elsewhere when he could have really helped you. And he's like, yeah, it's not right. It's not right. Players recognize when, when things are wrong. And he goes, and he just said, he goes, you know what? He goes, doesn't matter what anybody says above us. He goes, this is our team. He goes, players team only. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, if they're going to do that, if they're going to bunker in, maybe that's the right thing. And, and they do have, you know, they don't have enough veterans, but like the veterans they have, I think will be okay to do that. But yeah, like, I mean, I, like I said, you know, with with Scott and Jerry, I think, you know, they can – it's one thing to, like, try and impose a culture and, and, and talk about a winning culture and all this and that and what came first. And I, I just think, like, if you have the right players doing the right things at the right time, the accountability level, accountability level is there and that – you will other players have to follow or you know they just won't fit in um i think my like looking back at like the 2018 mariners you just for every nelson cruz there was just gene segura you know who didn't do that and you know and there were guys on you know the other side it was a really divided clubhouse but you know you you had guys that just didn't want to put in the time or the work. I think a lot of these young kids want to put in the time and the work. They might not know how to do it, but maybe if Marco and, and Seeger and all those guys show them, then that's okay. Like from a media standpoint, I used to say, you know, Nelson Cruz and Kyle Seeger and Felix Hernandez, even Robinson Cano, like from a media standpoint, they were the four highest paid players on the team and it wasn't even close and they were always available. They always talked. Nelson would literally come out in the clubhouse and say, hey, do you guys need me? Or he would volunteer to talk after bad losses. Same with Seeger. And Felix was always available after every start. He would talk, and he wore it and everything else. And when it was going downhill, which was like the saddest you know, thing I've ever had to cover, he was always there. And 
if you're the 25th guy on the roster making the major league minimum, you can't be an asshole, basically. You know, if these guys are willing to do it and they're the faces of the team and they don't have every reason to do it, but they do it, then you can't be that guy. And it's kind of similar with work and leadership and all this stuff. So I, I don't know that, like, I don't know, you know, like I said, Scott can read a million coaching books and Jerry can read all these empowerment books and stuff but at the end of the day if the players can't play for each other and want to play for each other then it's never going to work because i don't know very many players at least being around it where like they play for the manager or they play for the gm or any of that stuff you know like they got to play for each other and that's and that's what they have to build because it's just you know it's that's so important i mean like i that, you know, I started covering in 2006, and I thought I had an idea of what Major League Baseball was like and what, like, baseball should be like. And, like, within two to three years, my opinion has totally changed about the importance of a manager or the importance of a GM or how it works. Like, I used to think, like, the manager had to get these guys motivated and all that stuff. Like, if these guys can't be motivated, if the players can't be motivated to play hard every day, um that's on the players you know the manager has to set the tone or whatever but that has to be the culture like the expectation of work and all that you know it may start with the manager but it has to stay with the players so like you know like everybody like freaks out about what a manager means and stuff and they point to one bullpen decision i'm like look if you have a really good manager like how many really good managers can run a game maybe terry terry francona but the rest of it is just like Get the guys to show up and play for each other and, and give a damn about each other. That's half the manager's battle. If he can get them to play hard every day, to prepare hard every day and do that and, and find the right tone to set, that's half the battle. And, like, the rest of it is, like, so – I don't want to say eyewash, but it's, like, it's so overblown. Like, all this, you know, manager does this or GM does that. You know, the, it's just not – it's not how it – appears a lot of times because like you know i live with that every day on twitter oh it's scott doesn't do this scott's the worst manager in the world because he went to he went to brady lale in the seventh and i'm like going have you looked at the bullpen who are you gonna go with i mean honestly do you think that scott services managerial style will lend itself well to a situation like this because i think the perception for a lot of fans i mean i'll speak for myself for me is that he's kind of a soft-spoken, you know, Midwestern dad, aw shucks type, who seems like he would hate confrontation uh, or any uncomfortable situation. And he also has a lot of players who he doesn't know super well. I mean, none of the prospects have ever played for him at the big league level, um, especially the ones that have been called out by name by Kevin Mather. So do you think that Scott Service is a good fit for, like, a, a crisis? Or, like, what do you think is his game plan here to, to fix things on a managerial level? I think... I think Scott is smart enough to understand that he doesn't know everything and that he is middle-aged dad from Wisconsin, white dude, and he had the most African-American players in baseball on his roster. And he had, you know, he has different things. Now he has all this stuff to deal with. And so he's going to try and, like, at least listen to what they have to say because, like, you think Eric Wedge was going to do this? crap you know like eric wedge gonna i don't know you can get out there you gotta play harder play harder you know you gotta be aggressive you know and then and, and lloyd and, and lloyd mcclennan be like listen i don't want to hear about any of this shit and i'm like you know once he wants it to me i don't care what brad miller does at the plate with his stance he can hold the bat in his ass i just want him to stop swinging at pitches out of the zone 
And I'm like, oh, I can't really use that in my in my paper, Lloyd. <laughs> oh, you can you can make it work. You're creative. You know, I mean, like, and so, like, yeah, I mean, like, I think, like, Scott is not rigid enough. He's not rigid in, like, who he is and, like, exp- has the expectations. I think he understands he's managing the modern player. I, I, I like, I honestly, like, last year, he understood what was going on in this country with the social justice thing, and he understood who was on his team, and he let them talk, and he let them be, you know, vocal, and he understood and said, look, this is your team. This he's like, you know, he goes like, how the hell am I supposed to sit there and tell these guys what to do? He goes, I'm a middle-aged white guy, you know, like D Gordon, tell me what you think we should do. You know, JP Crawford, tell me what you think. Like the voting thing, like he, you know, he's, he's hyper aware of like what's going on. And I think that's, that's one good thing about that is he's going to be aware of what's going on with his players and like how they think. But the big thing is, is like, managers these days they don't get to make a lot of decisions like everybody thinks the manager gets a lot of these decisions no 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 gms make a lot of the decisions that's why joe girardi wasn't in new york anymore and and a lot of these guys aren't doing it the old school guys because the gms have more say than they ever have the analytics departments have more say than they ever in lineups roster construction everything else like scott service doesn't get a pick who's on the team are you kidding me he can suggest he can he can, like, lobby, but at the end of the day, Jerry DePoto picks who's on the team. He picks exactly how it's going to work. He's going to decide who's getting called up, what players they come up. I mean, they've had arguments before about it, but, yeah. I mean, like, I think Scott is typical of the modern manager in that he tries to work with what power he's given and try to be amenable to the players. That's why Mike Sosha doesn't have a job anymore. You know, you you got to be able to communicate and understand that these players aren't like the players you played with and they aren't like you. They're different and you have to be able to adjust. Yeah, I I think that's encouraging to hear. I think the readers will uh, will love the power to the players sentiment that keeps coming out, um, which I think is also very encouraging because I I've always said, like, if you don't have you don't have players who like want to be there and that's also like sort of emblematic of the seattle mariners right we've heard so many times guys like i don't want to play in seattle like, it's far away or like you know they've been terrible for the last 20 years so it seems like there's at least a little bit of pride maybe or like some they've been galvanized i mean marco straight up said it like sometimes an enemy unites better than whatever whatever the quote was about an enemy uniting them so this is all great to hear i think i, mean, um, like- I know kate yeah, but I mean, like, not to interrupt, but like, they, they can have the best of intentions and the best of motivation. But at the end of the day, talent still wins more than anything. Like, you can, you have the biggest collection of jerks in the world, and you can have Bobby Mal- Valentine be their manager. But if you're talented, you're going to win more often than not. And that's, I think, more than anything, that's what's held the Mariners back is like how to win, the concept of accumulating the talent to win, and and being willing to actually commit financially in other ways to win. And they've never been able to do that. Well, speaking of committing financially, I know Kate wanted to ask some, some John Stanton questions. Um, Cause you were at the, well at, you know, at the zoom press conference where Stanton addressed this mess. Um, I did not see any of that, but I think Kate had the most um, insight onto that and had some questions for you specifically. So, um, Kate, if you want to take the floor here for your John Stanton hour, go ahead. Oh, just uh, I don't definitely do not want to do a, an hour on John Stanton because I feel like we haven't 
totally no no yeah our our was not meant literally yeah but i uh i did want to say like the commenters really appreciated and i appreciated as well that you did a great job holding stanton's feet to the fire somewhat in (laughs) asking about organizational culture i think um well I, 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 we can talk about his answers, but I was just wondering, I think he said a lot of expected things, but did he say anything during that press conference that surprised or enlightened you or anything that was other than just like corporate garbage, like gib- jibber jabber? Could I call it jibber jabber? I would call it jibber jabber. Just like a lot of words to say, not a lot. Yeah. Um, and do you now understand how businesses work? Because that was, I thought, sort of <laughs> seemingly implied in one of his answers. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, I guess it's weird to say, like, one of the oldest guys on the beat, I know Shannon's on there, and I'm not saying her age, she could be younger than me, she could be older than me, I'm not saying her age, because I'm terrified of Shannon on a lot of levels, I do respect her shoe game, yeah, I respect her shoe game, and I I respect, yeah, I respect, you know, I mean, she's done this for a long time, and, you know, I mean, she... She knows everything, but yeah, like a lot of times it's like falls on me to ask first a lot, especially now with Greg Johns gone and hurts my soul. Um, the mumbler, Greg we miss Johns, Greg, not, we miss Greg. yeah, the mum, the mumbler. I don't know, like, yeah, John, you know, like, what, what are you seeing? <laughs> um, but no, so like, like the first question has to be is like process, you know, you gotta know. And, like, honestly, because I had sources saying that they thought they might keep him. And, you know, and I had other people saying he needs to be fired now. Like, that had to be the first question. Is like, I mean, I think uh, the entire Internet was saying that he had to be fired now. Yeah. But it felt very bad when he was allowed to make a statement before the Mariners made a statement. I was like, ah, this smells of image rehabilitation. Yeah. and, And, like. Once he made the statement, then that's when I thought, you know, and I have people in the organization say, I think he might, they might try and find a way to like circle the wagons and keep him in. And I was like, this is insane. Like, do they not get it? And I I was like, this is just an easy decision. You just like, um, you just dump him and move on and blame everything on him. I mean, like, I know how the game works. It's cover your ass mode. You know what? Heap it all on him. Cover your own ass. I mean, it works in yeah, a lot it's of different... The, that is the easiest thing. You divest yourself, rather... Because what Stan didn't have to do was he didn't have to say anything like, we we, we are now considering that, you know, having this openly uh, racist, filter-free, entitled asshole as the face of our organization was, you know, maybe indicative of some deeper cultural problems. That was what I wanted to hear him say in some way. We'll be doing a lot of self-reflection, et cetera, et cetera. No, yeah, they went the easy We're all looking route, for the guy who is... did this. Yeah, <laughs> we're all. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, like, said, if like, if you if you really want to double down, sounds like just walk out. What the hell was the Bellevue Breakfast Club thinking? And also, <laughs> if you're standing going, I haven't seen the full video, but if you cut five minutes out of it and you left this in, what the hell was said in the five minutes that was cut out of that? Oh, yeah. man, the, so, the missing five minutes, yeah, I think, are something that are going to be dare to when dream. there's an oral history. Call, call your grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> someone, so, someone has one. But, so, yeah, they yeah. went the easy route and just, like, cut him out. Uh, he absolutely doesn't reflect our our organizational culture, et cetera, et cetera. And, obviously, that's some degree of bullshit, and I appreciate you pushing on that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, like I want to know is like, look, if he doesn't resign, were you going to fire him? Because you have to know their intentions. I mean, he and my guess is, is maybe they said that night, you know, Sunday night, like, look, send out the statement and be prepared to resign. Because if we have, you know, if this gets worse and we and might, you know, if corporate sponsors start calling or whatever, like we're going to have to, you know, we're either going to have to fire or you're going to have to resign. And I think, you know, and I and you're right. We talked about this not on the podcast, but, you know, and Stanton mentioned it. Kevin read the columns and I mean, Larry Stone is one of the nicest human beings in the world. He is simply like everything that I'm not when it comes to being nice to people and like personality <laughs> and good natured and friendly. And I can vouch for that. I mean, can certainly vouch for he, that. He, he cut and like we like in the, the business, like, you know, you cut him up or carve him up. He cut up he cut up Kevin Mather and the Mariners pretty good. And the part where like yeah, the part where he talked about like how they already stink on the field, but you don't need you know, as fans, like we're already cheering for a team that stinks on the field. You don't need to humiliate us by being bad people at the same time or something like that. I mean I was like, damn, Larry, you know, like cause he sends a lot of his columns to me before he posts them just for me to read over. I was like, damn, this is good. Like the only takedown recently that I've seen that has been better than that was my buddy, Mark Carrig of the athletic cutting up oh, Jeff yeah. Bridich and, yeah. and uh, Monfort. Uh, I mean, that, that was, excellent. that was, that was leaving the skulls and bodies out there and then jumping up and down and then drinking tequila on top of them when they were done. Because <laughs> it was, I was like, damn Craig, you know, even like, and, and passing Jeff passing will cut people up. Well, like, Carrig did that, and even we were texting back and forth and passing. Like, I mean, that was fire. Like, he goes, I didn't even want to write anything after that after you did that because it was so good. But, yeah, so, like, anyways, getting back to Larry, Larry barbecued Kevin Mather pretty pretty well. and That is the correct verb, yes. Yeah. And he um, – and, yeah, I mean, when, when you lose Larry Stone, you've, you've lost, you know. And, and I mean, Larry, I think Larry's been pretty – pretty hard i know that howard lincoln just was angry at larry for the last few years but everything that larry wrote was true like from a perspective i mean he's been doing this forever he's a hall of fame level writer and everything he wrote was true and like i think kevin looked around and i was like there's no way i'm walking this back there's no way i can escape this and i mean honestly he shouldn't have escaped the last few times he, he'd gotten in trouble no i mean i think that the media the media attention was one thing, but the outrage, the Twitter, I mean, I've seen a lot of Mariners fans over my years of like running the account. I've seen them mad about a variety of things. I've never seen them this mad and this united in it. Even when the Kevin Mather stuff came up last time, there were a ton of people still saying like, well, you know, it was years ago and he's probably learned his lesson. Like there were still Kevin Mather apologists. It, It was impossible to be and I feel like the Mariners, too, got away with dismissing our concerns a lot of because we were very concerned about it. Obviously, women led site with a strong body of women writers. It was upsetting to us. And I felt very much like the Mariners reacted by being like, this is a fringe group that's pissed off. We can get away with this. This was not a fringe group. This was like Mariners fans from top to bottom saying, I will no longer support this team. Well, and yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, they, the the really impressive part about the matter thing was just no one, no one was going to come to his defense, right? Like, you man, he managed to piss off the players. He pitched well, off the coaches. Well, I mean, a coaches. certain disgraced former 10 <laughs> radio host. Mike. 
<laughs> well, still waiting for him to name names. No, no, we still waiting for him to name names, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, like, like he managed to not only that, but like other MLB owners had to be pissed. Manfred and the like MLB office had to be pissed, like across the board, just like Everett, the city of Everett, the city, <laughs> the city, the of, city Everett. of Everett. Like, yeah, I mean, it Luis is... Torrens and his very online father. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, why? Well, I, I posted that list, and and then of course Depoto because he, you know, he's got a creeper Twitter account. He's like, oh, I think your list was a little light. I was like, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. Well, I, I told Jerry, I was like, you know, there's a limited number. Of, I go, I wanted to say on the the thing, I was like, look, I know you're a lurker on Twitter, but there's a limited number of characters I'm able to work with on these lists. So, um, Ryan, you you are setting off a huge portion of Mariners Twitter. Oh right my now. god, Why? yeah, yeah. you're gonna so spend many... all night. Looking They're all lurkers. So, like, you know, Service had a lurker account for a while, and it was a Green Bay Packers based one. And Jessamyn McIntyre figured it out and yes. outed him. Yeah. And so he had to get a new one. And he, he swore to me, he goes, you will never figure this one out ever. Right. And I was like, div fan forever? And he's like, no, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like, look. Every scout has Twitter. Every front office person has Twitter. They all have Twitter. Other than maybe Stanton probably doesn't have Twitter. He probably has somebody, like, accumulate the tweets and send it to him, which I don't think he probably wants to read them right now. I think that person is Rebecca Hale. I think she's basically telling me that's her job. Yeah. I, my buddy Fernando Alcala used to work there. Um, he, oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's such a good dude. He's still, like, one of my good friends. He works for the A's now. So when he was there for the PR staff, and this is when blogs were really popular, he had to read – he had to, like – well, he had to, like, copy and, you know, link and, and summarize every blog post by the blogosphere. So, yeah, he would go Christ. read. No, I'm serious. So he would go, and it was only blogs only. So he would go read Lookout Landing. He would read USS Mariner. And then he would also have to read Baker's blog as well, and then the TNT blog, what I, which I was doing. And so one day we were sitting there, and, and can we curse on this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, okay. We, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. 100%. It's, it's so frowned upon if you there, know. We're sitting there one day, and I, I think we're in the cafeteria at Safeco Field, then then Safeco Field, and we're sitting there talking, and, and Jeff was talking about his blog, because Jeff liked to talk about his blog, and Fernando just, just out of nowhere goes, you write too fucking long. And I was like, excuse me? And like, Fernando goes, look, my job is to read all these blogs every day and you write too fucking long. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. You keep making the same point. Like you say it. And I was just like, dude, what are you, you're going to get in trouble. Like I'm hitting him. And so he said it and like Jeff was taken aback and had a couple comments. And then, you know, I think Fernando later apologized for being so abrupt. But yeah, it was like, yeah, it was crazy. I was like, dude, what are you? doing i had to say it i couldn't take it anymore i mean you know and then he's like i read this stuff he goes i don't understand half the stuff he's like he goes like i never understand anything that dave and um dave and uh derek are writing the uss mariner is like jeff's really funny i don't always get all his humor but he's really funny (laughs) and he's like and he goes he goes he was like, I go, what about me? He goes, well, I can't tell you to your face. And I was like, thanks. You know, I appreciate <laughs> it. And I can't remember. I'll see like, you know, he had, I think Kirby Arnold at the time was at the Everett Herald. He had a book. So like literally that was Fernando's job because they sent out all the clips and everything. But to the front office members, like the president, 
vice president, you know, vice presidents and um, GMs and stuff. He had to read the blogs and summarize what was said and everything else and send it. I was like, that's the worst job in the world. And I'm sure Howard Lincoln at the time probably paid him a whopping $40,000 a year. <laughs> well, let me tell you that that is a job. And this will connect to my, my Larry Stone thing from earlier where I said I can vouch for Larry being a nice guy. Uh, summer of 2014, and Larry would never remember this. I wouldn't expect him to. Summer of 2014, I was a training camp intern for the Seattle Seahawks, and one of my jobs was to do media clips every morning. So gather up all the stories written about the team, compile them, bring them to the head of communications and all that. The my scowler. You had was, to bring him to the scowler. Dave. Yeah. Oh, man. He's the yes, scowler. Yes. He, he, no comment. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Another part of my job was to credential the media. So, like, you know, the local media, we all know who they were. But some days, you know, John Gruden shows up. You have to make sure he gets his credential. But anyway, there was one day where Larry was there (laughs) covering the Seahawks. And uh, the Mariners were trading for Austin Jackson or Chris Norfia, whoever it was. And Larry's, like, doing Seahawks stuff. And I go over there. I'm like, so what does this mean for for James Jones? Is this going to be a platoon? (laughs) Like, what happens to Saunders? And Larry sat there and talked to me about it. It was amazing. I was, like, a 19-year-old college kid. And he gave me... All the time I wanted. It was amazing. He loves the uh, he loves baseball so much. So I got so I got like a sidebar here on this because you work for for the Scowler. Um, uh, was it? Is Dave? What is it? Pearson. Dave Pearson. So Dave Pearson. I was yeah. I was like when I was at the first of the TNT. I, I mean I was backup Mariners to Larry Larue, rest in peace, and like just a gentle man. And but mm-hmm. I you know in the off season I would have to help out with Seahawks, and I was covering helping Eric Williams, my good friend. Um, when they went four and 12 under Jim Moore and I wrote some, you know, and like, at, you know, they're, they're so terrible. So like we're, we have this blog and so we're writing stuff and there was a bunch of these funny pictures of Jim Moore on the sideline. So I did a create a caption thing for Jim Moore pictures and like, it got crazy responses and stuff. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and my phone rings and I look at my cell, I don't recognize it. And it's, it's like, I, I asked if I, uh, this Ryan and, and, and he's like, Ryan, yeah. I go, yeah. He goes, Rich Gonzalez. Yeah, Rich, how you doing? He works for Seahawks. And he goes, yeah, Rich Gonzalez. Hold for Dave Pearson. I go, yeah, you got to be fucking kidding me. Click. I hung up. I just hung up. And I was like, and so then, and so then all of a sudden my phone rings again. And Rich goes, hey, Ryan, yeah, like, I think we got uh, cut off. I go, no, I hung up. I go, I don't hold for anybody. If he wants to call me, tell him to call me. And Pierce is like, I'm on the line now. And I was like, all right. And then I got the, you think you're pretty damn funny, don't you? And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Because apparently he had called Eric first to yell at Eric about me. And Eric's like, don't call me to yell at him. You call him. He's, he's a grown man. You can yell at him. And then I was like, yeah, so, but that's my side. Go ahead. And I, sorry. But I, yeah, when you, you know said me? you work for the Seahawks and, and Pearson, yeah, I, I've been yelled at by Dave Pearson a couple of times. That is like a, that's a name that I've heard. I've never interacted with him, but I, yeah. I have, he's legendary in yeah. Seattle media circles. Yeah. So. The only story that I will tell that won't hopefully get me a phone call again from him was yeah. um, there was one day where I don't even remember what we were doing. It might've been like, Putting, I had to like write on his whiteboard in his office. Like it might have been just writing players' names so he could like visualize the roster or something. I don't remember what I was writing, but I got about ten lines in, and he goes, "Ah, no, I don't like your handwriting. Bring the other intern." <laughs> in. And I was like, "All right." <laughs> didn't want to. Didn't want to sit here and write ninety names anyway. I'll go get yeah. the other intern. So that was my experience. I'm glad we could bond over that. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, Sort of relive this weekend with you. You told us about it before we were recording. And now that the dust has settled and Mather has left the organization, um, I think we can all agree that there are some elements of this story that are very funny. Mainly that it was the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club. Mainly that if they if they just hadn't recorded the meeting, if old man Johnson had forgot to press record, then this story never happens. Like if the guy who just said, good. "Yeah, the guy, my favorite guy, my favorite guy in this whole story, the guy who simply said, tell us about Julio Rodriguez,' which led to Kevin just firing from the hip. That guy, by the way, looks like." The dude from Up, if you just slapped a Mariner's hat on him. Like, it's all it's all 75-year-olds and Kevin Mathers trying to impress them. that image out of my head. <laughs> I mean, like, like, yeah, like the whole, tell us about Julio Rodriguez, and that's what you go to. And that, again, that's what. Exactly. I mean, that's, it's, I won't say it's a dog whistle, but that makes you raise your eyebrows. That's where you go No, I to. think at that point, it's just a whistle. I mean, it's like, good It's Lord. just out loud. Yeah, so like, yeah, I mean, just like. When your first word about a Dominican prospect is loud, that's that's not a dog whistle. That is on the surface level. I, I you know, look, I, I so I went during the off season. Um, I went home. Actually, I went home on like September 25th back to Montana, Haver, Montana, population 6,000. And I covered the last road game, the last game, series of the season from home because, you know, we weren't traveling. And then I ended up staying there because, like, with Washington super shut down and my parents are older, you know, like, I just stayed in in Haver and, like, and helped out with around the house. I substitute top. These are extremely relatable COVID feels. And also, I would pay a lot of money to see you as a substitute teacher. I have a teaching degree. I grew up, I went, when I played baseball in college, they didn't have anything other than teaching, nursing, business, and truck driving. And truck driving was only a one semester class. So I got a teaching degree and then I realized quite quickly in my student teaching that I hated kids. But I substitute <laughs> taught. I substitute taught in person. And yeah, it was, I don't even know where I was going. But yeah, I spent like my whole off season in Montana and it was, it was different. It was, I saw my life without baseball and it was fine, but I kind of like having baseball around. Ryan, do you want to tell us the story uh, about how, where you were and what you were doing when you saw the Kevin Mather video for the first time? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, because you guys love this because I am <laughs> old. And I don't like to admit how old I am because I have the good Japanese blood in me. So, yeah, again, it, I need a translator to do this question there, Kevin. That'll, that'll cost you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, it was Sunday. I actually went worked out. We, we weren't able to go on the campus uh, and watch workouts. So I went to the gym and everything. It was a nice little Sunday, you know, Home Depot, drapes, you know, maybe some blinds. And then I went to um, In-N-Out to basically ruin my workout with a three-by-three three animal style and animal style fries. Sitting there by myself. For those, for those who don't know, by the way, the Northwesterners, three-by-three three is three patties, three slices of cheese. Yes. And animal style means cooked onions. And I even let them leave the lettuce tomato on there because, you know, I'm a anti-vegetarian. I don't usually like salad on my... Oh, you're on a health kick. 
Yeah, but um, <laughs> so like, yeah, so I'm sitting there and and I I see a tweet from Darren Gosler, Goose, who I've used more often than not uh, for my uh, the payroll stuff, and I look and I see this this note or whatever, and it says something about Kevin Mather, and so I I go to read it. And I hit it, and with my phone, I couldn't get it to turn sideways. And in my mid forties now, I um, I need readers like 0.25. And so I've got I don't have my glasses with me. I just, you know, I'm that guy that went straight from the gym to In and Out to get burgers and fries. And so I've got my phone. <laughs> I'm sitting at this outdoor table, and I got my phone, and I have my arms extended as far as I can to try and read this goddamn note because the, the, the font is so small and then I can't read the whole sentence. So I got both arms out and I'm like one fingering to try and read a sentence and everybody thinks I'm taking freaking selfies of myself. <laughs> and, and so then I, I finally was like, oh, look, there's the YouTube thing. I put my headphones in, I start listening to it and I'm eating my burger and I'm like, oh no. Like I heard the opening statement and I just knew this is not oh, going to end no. well. This is not going to end well. And yeah, he and, wasn't going to get like less verbal diarrhea -y uh, as he went along. No. And so then Sorry, yeah, I get, the, the opening statement, by the way, was something he prepared. That's also very funny to me. He was reading I, a script at one point. Like, this is what I want them to hear. Yeah. You know, I used to think that it was the worst thing when Chuck Armstrong used to, they would never let Chuck Armstrong speak in public because they never knew what he was going to say. But I mean, holy cow. And so, um, yeah, I just remember like I was listening to that. I listened to it and I was like, this doesn't sound good. And then I listened to it again and I was like, this is really bad. And I remember just like messaging my bosses, told Stoney and I posted it. We have a, an IM thread of like local media guys um like our, we have a group of friends and we posted on there and we were all just kind of talking about it you know it was like three or four guys from the times and a couple other radio guys and stuff and we're just like oh n you know like you gotta write this gotta write this and i mean all hell broke loose and honestly and i think i might have said it before but like i was 100 percent not surprised at any one thing that came out of his mouth while i was surprised that a man that has had Zoom meetings, although I think they use Microsoft Teams, so I don't know the difference, but didn't know that the recording light was on and runs a $2.5 billion organization, doesn't recognize when a recording light is on. Um, nothing that came out of his mouth was super surprising to me. Just in knowing Kevin Mather and in knowing how he thought about players as kind of commodities and not really players and the business side of it, the cold, cruel business side of him. Yeah, nothing was it was surprising. Like my only biggest fear, and it's always my fear on this, is just writing it. Like you, you want to write something. Like this means something, and you know, and and giving the the story the due that it's deserved is always something I fear. Like James Paxton's no hitter, or this or that. You just kind of want to, you know, you want to make sure you have it. And uh, I, I haven't played him yet, but you got to hear a couple of the emails I have. I, I, I weep for our education system and the number of people that don't understand that apparently freedom of speech doesn't mean guarantee of employment. <laughs> or, um, We're working you know, on that. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. Like, what do you say that was so wrong? Well, I can list them, 
yeah, but, you know, but they kind of believed in that. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't mean you can say it publicly. Like, you know, I mean, like, I I mean, like, you, I have my own thoughts. You cannot literally say service time manipulation. No, no. And, the, and this is what I said. And this is. And, and say I've the nev- quiet parts loud. I've never gotten a, a response when I've said this. And I say, oh, look at it this way. If the person directly below Kevin Mather. Say, I was like, if Jerry DePoto said all these things on the record in a Zoom call and it was recorded and it went viral, Kevin Mather would have fired them, fired him before he had a chance to resign. Mm-hmm. So how is it any different? And that's and that's what I tell anybody. It's like, what he said was fireable. The service time, the the free agent manipulation. I mean, like if you're an owner, and you he see these two things that he said, you're like, get your ass out. We don't need this going into CBA year. I mean, like it's blood in the water for the the union, and then, and then the all the the racist, just elitist, and the tone. Like Larry said, it was the tone. It was just arrogance. Like I can say whatever I want. I can do this. My now. my little parking garage. Yeah, just little I things mean, like that. Also, I know. Like, I had like three or four mayors. Parking garage is like eight stories. <laughs> I had like three or four mayors employees tell me like I ain't never seen no freaking police escort he might get the police escort yeah. but we don't get that i mean like <laughs> let's 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 not be stupid here soto is not beirut all right, right. you're not walking <laughs> down there like worried that ieds are going off let's i mean god i I'm like cool. yeah there's I, I you know from the organization that by the way fought viciously for money that was intended to go to unhoused people uh, or for their or, stadium upgrades or the organization that made sure that no business was allowed to operate there. No, especially no food or restaurant business was allowed to operate anywhere near them. So they could force everybody into the ballpark. And then the one business that goes in there, Henry's is like the worst run business on the goddamn planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just need it. I need a little, I need a little Hooverville in my life. Oh, oh my oh. God. I miss Hooverville. God. Yeah. You know what it is? It's all 9-11's fault, as Kevin Mather also <laughs> said. Yeah. I, no, I got a question for you guys. So, say they allow fans back in May. Would you guys go? Ooh. I have wrestled with this. Yeah. Um, I, I lean towards probably no. Mostly, though, because of COVID. Not so much because of this. I think if they had not fired Mather, then no way I'm going. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, now I, I'm still I'm still leaning no. I mean, the COVID aspect is I so I like full disclosure. I got vaccinated because um, in Montana they've been doing in person teaching, and so they had the subs get like because they were smart. Like, look, we want to go, we want our teachers to teach, and we want them to feel safe, and so they put teachers on tier two after first responders and the essential workers. I believe that's how it should have been. I'm speaking as a former teacher myself. Yeah. And they like, and it was your choice, but they highly recommended it. Like, Hey, go in and if you want to feel comfortable, you know, we're still going to make you wear the mask and everything else. But if you want to feel comfortable walking around and everything like that, you know, like, so I got COVID. So like I felt comfortable anyways, but then I got the, the vaccine because like, yeah, I mean like if they're going to offer to you and, and like they wanted teachers and, and to be honest, like the principal says, like, we feel better if you would get the shot, you know, Good. and and so it was kind of interesting. And I and like I was super happy and, and see like my friends doing it because 
uh, teaching is hard and 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 I don't think people get enough credit and everybody jokes that like yeah I had to do online learning Summer's with my off. kids yeah and like everybody's like I have to do online kid with my teacher and I now respect or I'm with my I have to do online teaching with my kids and I now really respect my teacher so much more but do you really do you really <laughs> do you do you vote for tax increases for schools and yeah. stuff like that like yeah so I as as someone who is currently working for the YMCA doing like pod learning like it is it is ludicrous like that that yeah. entire like that makes i mean yeah like it is yeah <laughs> i am personally I'm, i don't care if it I, pushes me down the list uh, per- personally yeah. like i no. think that schools are more important than like private citizens many of whom yeah. in their 20s to 40s yeah. many of whom can you know probably work from home anyway yeah like get the people who have to be out there in person yeah. like grocery store workers retail workers etc get the teachers yeah. then move on i would not go to the ballpark unless i had a shot but yeah i, I mean I, like i feel like the mariners will be really safe about it like they'll mm-hmm. try and enforce as much as they can or every team but you know there's always a jackass or two that's not going to follow um yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Like, not get me near those games in Arizona with a uh, electric cattle prod. Sold like. out. I think they're all sold out. <laughs> they're all sold out. Absolutely, because Arizonans are not careful. But I <laughs> and know people are I've, so I, desperate. I know several people from Seattle that are flying down. Like when I had a friend fly down from Montana through Seattle, and you know it's winter quarter break or, or winter break. And she said her her flights were all packed, and it was mm-hmm. a ton of kids. When I flew down on that Monday, last Monday, because it was the start of winter break there, my flight was packed because it was at President's Day. Mm-hmm. My flight was packed. Like, there was – it was three to a seat, three people in each – there was people in every seat other than in the the expansive row, like the premium and then the first class where James Paxton and Blake Snell were sitting. But <laughs> I was in coach. <laughs> I'm not surprised yeah, by any of this. Every every sporting event you see on TV, there's always one guy who like pulls his mask down to clap, and you're like, you don't even understand what the mask <laughs> yeah, they, is for. They gotta stop. Like, you don't they need gotta to do stop that. panning to the crowd. You gotta you yeah. gotta yeah. Yeah. you gotta vet your pans. <laughs> like, you I mean, gotta, like, or yeah, like as someone who works part time in retail too, like you see people pull their mask down to like look at something or like to hear you better, and you're like, this is we're screwed this is not getting any better I mean, like, speaking look, of the educational system yeah i mean like yeah i mean it's like that whole and i and like when this was all like not to go all political but like this is going on and like i said like we're a selfish society and we're an an uneducated society like you know like i, I was just kind of like hey i mean like this is gonna happen i had a kid in a class when we went back to full learning because i did the last couple weeks of full learning um full days and you know so you got 20 kids in class and the rule was though you had to wear your mask at all time you take it off unless you were drinking anything and that's it and we didn't they didn't want that so when kid comes in and have his mask on and he tells a girl he's like i am a grown or he goes i'm a man of this or he goes i'm a person of this country a free person and i will this and that and i understand and i was like look buddy i don't need you re repeating tucker carlson when your dad probably repeated it to you, but yeah. your free, I go, your freedom stopped the moment you walked in the door of my classroom. And I said, and technically they stopped the moment you walked in the door of the school. So either put your mask on or go see the principal and get out. And everybody's like, Oh, and he's like, I'm sure. he goes like, you don't, you don't believe in Liberty. And I go, I'll give you 20 seconds to explain what Liberty means. And then I might listen, 
But until then, like, no, put your mask on or get out. And everybody was like, wow, this guy's a psycho. Like, <laughs> we're going to have to listen for 10 Ryan. minutes, and then they didn't care. That's very Montana. Um, Ryan, I wanted to ask, like, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me about the Kevin Mather comments, speaking of getting political, uh, is not just how racist and offensive they were it, overall, uh, I think an underrated part of it is saying that Taylor Trammell, who is like large, but not like Kyle Lewis size, looks like a football player. Uh, I feel like what really got me was how out of touch a lot of those were. Like anyone who's interacted with Marco knows he's not boring. He's very fiery. And I maybe that was like some kind of joke because I think nationally Marco is considered a boring pitcher, but the way he said it made it sound like he was boring. No, I think he thinks he's boring. Okay, yeah. well, so, I mean, but I feel like anybody who has paid a little bit of attention to him knows he's he's not. He had that, like, took a dump on our table. You know, Marco's fiery. Anybody who's talked to Julio knows that his English is pretty tremendous. Uh, or even little things like consistently calling Terenz Torres or mispronouncing Kelnick's name. Like, what are we to make of the fact that the team president got so many basic facts wrong about players? It, it's quite it's quite obvious that the team CEO didn't have any concept of the players, and they weren't people to him. They were commodities. I mean, honestly, if you think about it. Like, I'm sure he thinks Marco is very boring because they would love to market Marco more or make him better, you know, because he is their best pitcher. And he, and he dumped compliments on Marco. Like he's one of the three best pitchers, left-handed pitchers in baseball, all that stuff. But like, like why do you have to preface it all the time? Like, well, he's very boring, but, or his English isn't great and he's very loud, but like, like just say what they are. Like, that's the thing. He like offered all these like prefaces or caveats or whatever about these guys. I'm like, this is stupid. Even like Evan White, like he made Evan White sound like the conquering hero because he didn't bet on himself, you know, like he didn't, like he accepted this contract for significantly less and then derided the players for saying he's wrong. And if Kevin had any sort of understanding of where Evan White's family life is, specifically his parents and some of the health issues that they've been dealing with, that like this money matters to Evan a lot more now. It's not than just it his does. mom having cancer; his yeah. grandfather has cancer yeah, too. Yeah, right? it's, like, yeah I mean, they both have cancer, and like, and he's not a Jared Kelnick. Like Jared Kelnick grew up in wealthy circumstances. Yeah. Evan White's family is very much working class. Oh Ohioans. yeah, wins. Yeah. I mean, like, he, Evan White, like, every dollar that Evan White earns is going back to his family right now and what they're dealing with. And that's, you know, and again, like, but, like, Kevin just showed no depth or nuance or understanding of who the players are and what they mean to the organization. And it's like, why would you put him out there? I'm sure, like, you know, maybe Jerry didn't want to do it or whatever, but, like, say what you want about Jerry and verbose and otherwise, and maybe you believe him, maybe you don't, but that guy will talk glowingly about every player on the team. He, I mean, he'll talk glowingly about every player on the team and can list them all in a way that Russell Wilson can't until Russell Wilson went all like NWO Hulk Hogan and went to the heel <laughs> turn. Um, but yeah, like Jerry like would have done that thing and been fine and, and didn't, wouldn't have done that stuff. But like, Kevin just clearly showed how little he knew about the players he's paying. You know why? Because they're not people to him. They're salaries. They're bottom line, like, they're salaries. Like, he doesn't, like, I was talking to people, like, he he is, 
so John Stanton wants to kind of be the disheveled grandpa, is what I always say. You know, he's like, <laughs> the hair's the hair's yes. kind of messy. You know, yes. he always looks like the crazy grandpa in Hawaii that's got half the shirt hanging out, and he's got the the metal detector on the beach. Like yeah. he hit the never going up. back, man. Yeah. And he's like, you know, it's just a little too red, not quite sunburnt, but probably a little too red to stay out there without sunblock on. He's that guy, and I, and I, I and I did a really long story on John, and I I felt like you know, and everybody I talked to from a business side, they felt like he was going to figure this out, but John likes to be liked by the working class people, and he will go around and talk to them, and he will he he makes a point of it in a way that Howard Lincoln didn't, but in that case, when you want to be liked and you want to be the cool owner, you have to have a hatchet man. You have to have a guy that's going to go in and do all the shitty things that you don't want to do. Fire the people, do the, you know, do the cruel things that make businesses run. And um, Kevin Mather was that guy and Kevin Mather was good at it. And I think he relished it. I think he liked the idea that he was this straight talking guy from Wisconsin that didn't have a filter and said what he felt. And this is how it's going to be. I mean, look, Kevin Mather advanced up the chain for a lot of reasons but it's because he makes money he made money for that organization and everything he did and i think that's part of it too is like the minority ownership group they don't deal with him on a daily basis but he makes them money they like him they don't have to deal with him they don't know what a jerky is to deal with but he makes money and i think that that works for john stan i i've been told that john can be very ruthless and very tough in his cellular business and all that other stuff. But in this, I think he wanted a little more sense of community and he believes in that, but you still have to have a guy that has to be the dick. And from what I've been told, actually Marco Gonzalez wasn't the dick or the, like, you know, he wasn't that guy. He didn't shove the guy. He didn't, he didn't (laughs) shove Mike Leake in a locker though. I think there was a line of people that would have been willing to do that. Um, He didn't shine. He didn't shove Mike Leake into the locker from what I've been told. And, not just from Marco, but everybody else. Like that's not really what happened. So, dang, that is a bit of a bummer, but it makes a lot more sense because that did feel like the weird, like one of the most detached parts. Like you said, we don't think he's ever met any of these players. He didn't even know who Tramel was, or like knows how to pronounce Torrens. And then he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I was in the locker room one day when there was a, a shoving match." Like, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> And that never got that never got reported. Like if you're in there, no one else is in there. It was just you hanging out with Marco no, Gonzalez it, starting a fight. It, like, look, I mean, like, I'm not saying I know everything about this team, but like, if Marco Gonzalez put Mike Leak in a locker and said all those things, <laughs> I think I would have heard it. I'm like, I don't, say, <laughs> I don't think I, I know everything, but like, also Mike Leak told me a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, like, if you recall, like all that stuff about the day he was going to be traded and all that stuff. I mean, like, I. You know, he he he's a, he was an oversharer at times. You know, so I, I didn't feel like you know I like I I felt, I trust my sources enough to know that that I would have heard about that if that would have happened. And I had several sources say like that didn't happen, not even close. Because Marco really isn't that guy. Well, Marco is icy and competitive. He's not physical confrontation. No, guy. no, Marco. It feels like he has some strong Pacific Northwest vibes of passive aggressiveness. Like, we'll snark at you very hard, but... Does it to me all the time. It's <laughs> unneeded. 
he's a he's a fiery one. He just he he reminds me of Kelnick in that way that he's kind of like me against the world. Um, we got yeah. a question from one of our readers that wanted to know if you think Depoto's job security is at all affected by this. Uh, and a question from the entirety of Twitter: When are the Mariners hiring Theo Epstein? I feel like those two are related. Oh, so, um, yeah, I mean, like, so I, I've written, and I like I've been wrong. And I have to, I'm gonna have to correct this at some point, but like I've had now multiple people tell me that Jerry doesn't have an option for this year. That it was a straight three year deal. That he's lame duck situation right now. And maybe that's why he's been so morose about this whole situation going down. <laughs> but maybe in the end, if like Mather's gone and Stanton's like, you know, like I don't want to change everything up. But again, if they come out and they go ten and forty, maybe they do change everything up. You know, I, I'm not going to discount the work that Jerry Depoto's done. Um, you know, like was it serendipitous that Robinson Cano's agent got a job being a <laughs> GM and he wasn't very smart. He wasn't very good at he wasn't very good at being a GM and your closer who you think is an arm injury waiting to happen had fifty seven saves and had two years of club control and you're gonna try and package it. And you convince an organization that has refused to rebuild for all these years to finally rebuild so you can make all these moves? Yeah, I mean, like, holy cow. I mean, I never thought that. I writ- I've written so many times that Robinson Cano was untradeable. I didn't understand the circumstances that would take to trade Robinson Cano, but it happened. Um, Brody, Van, Wegenin, yeah. baby, come on <laughs> down. And, and yet, and yet... The Mets still it's look. crazy how much influence men named Brody yes. have had on Jared Kelnick's yes, life. <laughs> exactly. And yet... The Mets right now still look probably more functional than the Mariners. Think about that for it's a second. It's a rough place to be in. Yeah. Um, so, no. Um, so, it's a straight three-year deal. So, he's lame duck. So, is service. So, like, we, I don't, you know, I, I got to figure I got to get it more confirmed. But, like, the source I have tell me that, like, I trust pretty highly. Um, but, yeah, like, so how do you, like, do they – what, what do they do with the – because, you know, if, if you listen, I, I asked about the structure because, like, this would have been the perfect opportunity. Like, no, we're going we're gonna to strip it down and we're going to figure this out and we're going to restructure and we're going to make this better because this isn't working right now. We've had a problem and this isn't working. We have a no success on the field and we've had issues in the front office, so we're going to change our leadership strategy. Do they go at Diamondbacks and go, like, Derek Hall and somebody else, like, baseball – President of baseball operations, president of business operations. You know, do they promote Kevin Martinez to a president's job and have another baseball president's job? You know, I mean, like, if you're the Mariners, I think you want to go away from the finance guy being your president, you know, and. Um, yeah. Or um, the ballpark, ballpark ops was his job before he got. Yeah. He was to... CFO of finance for a while, too, all this other stuff. Yeah. But, like, look, you know, maybe you go that route. I mean, um, Maybe pick someone the fan base doesn't actively hate. Just yeah. throwing that idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know somebody said, "Well, I'll just promote Jerry to president of baseball operations, promote Justin Hollander, move everybody out." I don't think that's going to happen. Like, you yeah. don't, you, you don't want to. I think, like, I think you need to revamp the thinking structure or the leadership mm-hmm. structure a little bit because it, shit ain't working. I mean, like, right. simple as that. Regardless of. The, the the rebuild or step back or whatever and that seems to be progressing we're still a long ways from that being successful so like 
having a better thought of how you want your leadership structure to be. And if it's just bringing in Theo Epstein, I'd have no problem with that. Like, would anybody really truly argue if John Stanton says, look, I'm turfing everybody. I'm bringing in Theo Epstein and he's got carte blanche to run it the way he wants. And also, and if Theo Epstein were to fix the Mariners, if Theo Epstein were to fix the Mariners and they were to win a World Series, he should be inducted into Cooperstown the day after that World Series would ever happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's that's another thing. Like, and 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 like Larry and I were talking about this. Maybe they need different thinking. Maybe like again, like it is super inbred in a lot of ways. John Stanton has been a part of this ownership group for a long time. You know, I guess he was a minority owner. He didn't have full full saying a lot of stuff but he's still been around buck ferguson all these other guys you know like they're they've been around chris larson maybe you maybe you truly bring in a guy that says screw you i'm gonna do it the way you want you're gonna follow me i'm the president i've got a world series ring or two from the two most inept franchises ever and you guys are making a serious push to be better them in that category like maybe you do that but i i think yeah, you should examine. Like when you have a breakdown as great as this, and and really the the fault or the breakdown with with Kevin is extended well beyond this this one incident. Um, you need to examine everything that is you do, because again, they have not had success. And I've always contended. Look, the Mariners want to win. They always want to win. One, they don't know how to win, and two. They're not courageous enough to commit the dollars to win. And that's the difference between other teams. I mean, like, you know, they don't have the right – they didn't – maybe they do now in DePoto. But in the past, they didn't have the right people that were smart enough to figure out how to win or had the idea of what it takes to win. But even worse, the people in charge of allowing those guys to win and make helping, you know, basically approving those decisions weren't courageous enough or – had enough faith in the process to invest in winning. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, and, and that's not always just like dumping money in free agency. That's, that's believing that, look, this system is broken in 2004 and Richie Sexton and Rich Adrian Beltre aren't going to fix it. We need to start over and revamp our farm system because Gillick, you know, kind of created it all trying to build for 2001. Or, you know, maybe you look around if we're not going to invest around Felix Hernandez in his prime, then what are we doing? Then we should trade him for seven people, mm-hmm. you know, and they would never, they never had the stones to do any of that. They never had the gravitas to say, look, we have to do something more than we've always done. And it's going to be different. And it's going to be hard, but they always just took the easy route. It was like, Oh, we'll just patch it up. We'll, we'll, we'll sign a free agent here. We'll, we'll get Brad Wilkerson and Jose, Jose Vidro. Meanwhile, like also keeping people employed that clearly didn't have a, a concept. Like, I, I mean, I wrote that story about the dysfunction a few years ago. I mean, you don't walk back Eric Bedard trade, Jeff Clement draft pick. I mean, God bless Danny Holson, and he's the nicest kid ever, but it, it didn't work. When you make mistakes in the draft in the top five picks, those last for years and you trade away adam jones who's an everyday player for eric bedard who you get nothing from and you i mean even the little ones the sensu chu and all these things they add up collectively to the point where you know 
they leave damage. Josh Fields, they didn't have to sign Josh Fields. They signed him two weeks. I think it was two weeks before the deadline. Do you know who went after the Josh Fields pick? Like if they didn't take, if they didn't sign Josh Fields, and they left that pick and they got that pick back for that draft. Do you know who was sitting there? Oh, this yeah. kid named Trout. Oh yeah. <laughs> who Tom McNamara still swears to this day. I mean, he goes, if we would have had that pick, Ryan, if we would have had that pick, we would have taken him. Sure is my <laughs> first Beastie Boys concert I ever went to. Sure, sure is every sweater vest I own. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> but think about that. And, it's like, and again, it's like the service time. I, it's weird. Alex Rodriguez paid, what, 15 games that one year? Yeah. And, then in two, and it cost him in 2001. I don't know. You know, like, they might not have won 116 games in 2001 with Alex Rodriguez. But they might have won the World Series with Alex Rodriguez. Might have not gotten tuberculosis. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so it's so weird. Like, they just – and they – and, like, I wrote I, – I think I tweeted out, like, whenever they ever – Mariners, like, when it comes to controversy or big decisions, whenever they ever made the logical choice at the logical time or the, <laughs> the, the proper time, they just don't. Do you think that there's any way to save – face with this I mean this is the most talented group of prospects they've had in a decade and I think you could argue maybe even more than more than that Uh, do you think that they might like reverse course Uh, our LL reader Sweet Lou wanted to know if starting Kelnick in MLB is the only way to save face um I mean like yeah I don't know that's really weird like with Kelnick honestly though and from everything I had heard, even before they offered the extension, that Kelnick and Brody believe that he's going to be a star, and that that signing an extension would would lessen the dollars that he could accrue. Um, you know, and and I mean honestly, the Mariners have built up that built him up in that regard too, like the hype that they surround him by. And you and you heard that Kevin Mather mentioned, like when you have a shitty farm system in baseball America rates you bad. You don't say a word and you say, Oh, we'll get better. These kids, it's all about development. But then when you have top 100s, yeah, we got to push this out there. So they, they've helped build the legend of Jerry Kelly to the point too, where it's like, Hey, you're not going to sign. Um, I felt like I, in talking with some scouts and people close to Kelly, they always said he would never sign an extension unless it was for like a hundred, hundred million dollars. Like, unless it was Cunha money or something near it, he wasn't going to sign. So, I mean, maybe you make decisions based on that. Julio is different. Maybe he, he believes in it a little bit more. Um, they've really given him a lot of freedom. I just think at the end of the day, like, if they start winning and they start putting something together and you pay some people, I mean, like, yeah, it'll work. I mean, like, it can work. But I, and it's like all this is so... Granted, it's all like the the Kevin Mather comments. I mean, this guy was going to fire himself or force himself (laughs) into resignation at some point or other. What I call it, self-immolation, career self-immolation. He was going to do it at some point or other. But just like again, like he doesn't believe in filters. He he says stuff, you know. And and at some point, everybody's got video or audio. But like, I felt like you know. If if there isn't COVID, Jerry Kelnick is called up by the end of last season, or at least 
we know all the reasons why he wasn't called up at the end of last season. And Logan Gilbert debuts, and Cal Raleigh debuts, and Julio plays a year, and you know George Kirby gets a normal workload, and Emerson Hancock. Well, they might not get Emerson Hancock at number six if he plays a full year at Georgia, but if they do, right. like you know, he has a full year. So now all this is just thrown into hell. And you don't have that, and you have this odd circumstance with Kelnick and Logan Gilbert's down there throwing six innings in an alternate training site and trying to call it a start to build up innings, and <laughs> all these other guys are just kind of a mess. Like none of this could have, you know, like all none of the stuff that we're all talking about now, the surface time manipulation, would have been a serious issue if if they had a normal season because I I think Kelnick would have played his way into deba- debuting last year, or forced his way into the mix this year you know like there wouldn't have been so blatant they wouldn't have had a team with tim lopes as your left fielder i mean like that's that's the whole difference in all of that and um yeah i mean like i and i that's like i guess for me i thought maybe 2022 is when they could be really good but i don't see george kirby and emerson hancock being here by you know, full-time starters by 2022, right. maybe at the end of it. But, like, they didn't throw all year, you yeah. know? I mean, George Kirby's – how many starts has he made as, as in the pro career? Like, nine? And I don't think any one of them was over three innings. No. You know, Brandon – technically, Brandon Williamson or Juan Fan are, the mo- are the most ready prospects after Logan Gilbert, and they're still a ways away. You know, yeah. that's why, like – and and I beat it to death. That's why they should have signed Taiwan Walker. I don't care what it costs. Give him the three years. Yeah. Because he's twenty eight. He he's twenty eight. He's twenty eight. So he's gonna be. He's a bridge guy. Even if you, I honestly, if they'd have given him two at twenty with a vesting option for a third that was reachable, he'd have signed it in a second. Yeah. You know they they dicked him around because they were trying to they were trying to game the system and then they end up losing him. You know and and that's like so you're you're telling me. They, like, because again, and, we, and you guys point this out, we don't know. You can say what you want about Justin Sheffield or Justin Dunn or Yusei Kikuchi, even Nick Margavichis. Like, none of them have had sustained MLB success ever. Like, I mean, the extent of their success is 10 to 11 games. I mean, Marco Gonzalez and now James Paxson are the two most established, you know, um, starters. Mm-hmm that have actually had legitimate success. And you know Paxton carries the the injury caveat with him. So, like, why not add Taiwan Walker to that? Like, mm-hmm. I hate the floor-ceiling comment, but doesn't that raise the floor if you have Taiwan Walker in your rotation? It gives the wiggle room that if Logan Gilbert struggles, it's not the end of the world. Well, you don't have to rush George Kirby. You know, it's, it's just, it seems so stupid that <laughs> they didn't do it. It's such a small it. investment to create yes. some they, s- a safety net for the team to they be They paid good, $18 million for Sean Figgins not to play for them. <laughs> oh, 18, my God. Nine years. Nine <laughs> okay, million. well, we're, we're getting off track. You're going to piss people off even more. <laughs> I think Casey Kochman got three that year. Let's, yeah. like, you know, I mean. For, uh, for, th- for each th- homer. Like, one for each homer. I think. They, I think they have like I think they have thirty million in dead money this year, isn't it, or something like that, or twenty five million in dead money? Yeah, they, they still got it, the yeah. It depends on how you count the Cano money, but yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's like and that's that's it. Like they're twenty fifth in payroll or a, roughly how you how you count it. Like they're behind some teams they have no business being behind. 
And they're not going to, I mean, they're not going to exercise that option on Yusei Kikuchi next year. I don't care if he wins 30 games. They're not going to exercise yeah. it because it's four more years. I mean, like, that would be, that would be idiotic. Yeah. But well, other than that, well, you know, he, how are the Mariners doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other than that, Miss Lincoln, how's the play? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, that's rough. I, mean I, I don't want to sound like a dick, but, like, shit, I, I'll be going no. to, I'll be in Montana by October early, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's this. Uh, Dennis Johnson quote from that he's like he's a writer it's like he was a mess but at least he was a mess openly and I feel like the Mariners have been a mess pretty openly on the field but now we're seeing the mess that they are behind the scenes and it's tough and it's a reckoning and it's a I think it's a real watershed moment for the franchise and where we go forward from here and how they go forward and we'll definitely all be watching and taking notes and analyzing how they do it, but and yet, could I mean, go, like, could go either way. And yet, they could still be interesting. Like I, I saw some of it was like I, I they I predict them to lose ninety some games, but they could be an interesting team losing ninety games. Like like again, if if like Kelnick or Kelnick, sorry, Kelnick is getting meaningful at bats. And Gilbert is pitching, and, and you, know, yeah. you have some of these young guys, and and Evan White is playing better, and you know all this stuff. Like that's the important part, I think. In this, is like there's volume still to be had, mm-hmm. and how they react to it. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it, you know, it, it could still be an interesting team, and it could still make you forget about how screwed up the organization is as a whole. Is if like if you just watch something that resembles competency. And I think for there was a stretch last year where it was competent. Like if JP Crawford figures out how to be something more than a than a three thirty OBP guy and actually adds mm-hmm. a little bit of slugging to go with the defense, or Evan White, you know, doesn't strike out at a Zeno rate, <laughs> um, you know, and like the whole Mitch Hanniger thing, how are you going to watch it? I mean, like, oh, I'm really they, interested to watch. They, they have that. a chance to be interesting. I think they can be competitive. I just don't think that they have the overall depth. Mm-hmm. And the experience right. to truly withstand, like none of these guys know what 162 is at like the big league level, but I mean, I guess that's your hope if you're a Mariners fan. It's like, just you know, like just don't crush our hopes and dreams <laughs> in the first month of the season. Like, do yeah. something. I mean, like, no, seriously, like, do yeah. something to make us care. I mean, right. that would be the thing. Like, I, I've sat through games where the starting outfield was Trayvon Robinson and Eric Thames and. I can't even remember who was in center. Jason you know, Bay? Like, was it Jason yeah. Bay? Because we oh, remember that, Jay Jason Bay. Bay. <laughs> Bay Ray, you know. Like, um, you know, they're striking out 20, like 20 times a game. And, and they weren't – like, at least at least with this team, you can sit there and say this, that every – for most of the guys on the team, every at-bat, every inning played, everything that they see has value beyond this year. Absolutely. And that – that it can't be measured and it can't be, although if the Mariners could find a way to sell it, they would, but like it can't be sold. But I mean, like if you have a little bit of nuance as to what this rebuild is, that's what you have to look at is say, this is what it could be. And, you know, and evaluate it for what it is, is like, you know, which is kind of shitty if you think about it, because like they evaluated Shed Long on 25 good games and 25 bad games. And now apparently he doesn't ever get to play again. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you know, they're, the guys are going to play, and guys that matter to this organization's success are going to play, and you're going to be able to watch them, maybe in person, maybe not. But I think that's – I mean, that could be the redeeming quality of this season. I, you know, 
it sucks in the the like if they do get Colton Wong, and and, and you know they aren't limited by a budget, and they get Colton Wong, and they get um, Taiwan Walker, and all these budget limitations where they were second place, and all these guys. That team, like I would like, like if you put Taiwan Walker in the rotation, and you put Colton Wong on this team, and that means you play. Dylan Moore in your left field spot, and you and you you do that. I mean, think about it, the defense alone of Colton yeah. Wong, Kyle Seager, J.P. Crawford, Evan White. It's four gold I mean, gloves. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, you know, Ryan. You are describing literally what I wanted for this offseason. It wasn't and they no, were nothing in, crazy. Like they were in on Colton Wong, they just couldn't go to the price point because Mather and ownership they limited them, and that's the that's got to be the galling part. I mean, yeah. like people wear Jerry out for this. They give him the budget. He has to operate in it. Yeah. You know, and, and like, um, but yeah, I mean, like, it could have been a lot better. It could have been so much more. And honestly, like, if you sign Colton Wong to a two-year deal or even a three-year deal, I think you got two with the Tigers, right? Uh, two at 16. Brewers, two, Brewers, but yeah. Or Brewers, yeah, 216, 217. Yeah, yeah. You get Colton Wong. You get Taiwan. You know, that, that raises your level a little bit, plus packs. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they could be competitive. Well, and you, you also know? you also have like that clubhouse is so much more willing to give you a little bit of benefit of the doubt yes, of like, absolutely. oh, you guys overachieved last yeah, year. Okay, we're going to give you we're going to we're going to go out. We're going to improve this team. Maybe it's not going crazy. We're not bringing in Trevor Bauer or you know trading for you Darvish, but like we're going to make this team better so that if you guys keep you know keep playing above, you know what your expectations are this is a this is a team to look at you know and they didn't do that and and you know no. they didn't buy in on themselves and that that no, was and, just a bummer and, and you could tell from marco's comments on the record and off that mm-hmm. that bothered him you know yeah. like absolutely you know, they, it's because they look around it's like how do you tell these guys that are so competitive like yeah we don't really give a shit if you win or lose we mm-hmm. just want to get better i mean that's the biggest cop out of a goal let's just get right. better I mean, like I tell myself, today will be better than the, tomorrow will be better than the day today. It rarely is. <laughs> then you wake up to uh, Bob yeah. Nightingale getting. I mean, if it had been like if it had been passing, I'd have been fine. Oh yeah, you know, like, yeah, no. I mean, um, maybe not Rosenthal because he's shorter than me. But, <laughs> but like, passing's my boy. I love pass. If uh, passing, Evan Drellick, you know, Andy McCullough. If it had been those guys, they're my friends, but. And I love Bob, but it's it's Nightingale. Come on, man. It's, it's boob. It's boob. Yeah, we, we get yeah. it. We, <laughs> we get, get it. it. All right, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, deep breath, everyone. We went almost two hours, uh, but I think we got to wrap up. We got to let Ryan sleep too. We had some some commenters. Yeah, we Ryan, did have a. We that did have getting a any sleep. Is this live? Had slept. No. <laughs> no. Okay. God no. no. no God no. no. <laughs> yeah. No, Mr. Mather, your, your job is safe. <laughs> hey, is that, what does that red light mean on the left side of the screen here? I was like, I've never seen one of those before. I did. Um, the best and the brightest. I mean, like, yeah. Usually, uh, so oh, I, go ahead, go ahead. I know I just, because uh, I'm like crowdsourcing a little bit, but like our special section preview is going to be on the face of the franchise. Apparently, the last face of the franchise, last two faces of the franchise, one needed an interpreter for more than $75,000, and the other one, English not so great or good, you know, Felix. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, like, you know, like, because right now, Kevin Mather is the face of the franchise, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. And, and like, there has been a gap, and I, I don't know, like, who do you think it is? 
It's Marco. Ver- Marco. Very boring. I, think, I, I think it's Julio. Like they've been positioning him. And I think that that was part of their, I think they probably are. First of all, they think they can get Julio for less because Dominican prospects tend to, yeah. you know, a kid from Julio's not from a poor background speaking in the Dominican Republic. He's not from the same background that Jared Kelnick is. Yeah. And he's definitely going to bet on himself, but I think they're angling with the idea that they can get him and they're positioning him in a way that he is very much uh, preparing to take on the role of face of the franchise. That's, I think I'm struck by the way that they talk about Julio and Kelnick. It feels very different to me. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? I mean, you have that's to embrace my, it. Like Jared, I mean, can you be the face of the franchise knowing that he's going to leave in six years and yeah, you might have to right. trade him in that last year? If you're terrible and he's really good, you might have to trade him. I mean, like, can he be that guy? I mean, it's what's crazy is this. Kyle Lewis is the reigning American League Rookie of the Year, and he made unbelievable plays. And you you talk to him, and you see him interact with kids, and you see him interact with his teammates, and you think, how can you not get behind this guy? I mean, like, yeah. and the story, the backstory, what he went through, and all this other stuff. I'm like, well, we don't even talk about him. That's true. You know? And Marco, again, like Marco, I don't know if pitchers can be. I, I think Felix Hernandez was special to be the face of the franchise as a yeah. pitcher. Yeah. I mean, that... I think they've been leaning on Marco in that way, but he's just really kind of a placeholder until, I mean, Julio just, it has to be someone who commands that star power, right? Like Marco has the hometown aspect and devoted to the community and all of that. But, and so they've been leaning on that as him as their public image for years, but I th- Julio has the star power, so. Well, and I think it, it honestly, for Kyle Lewis, I think, unfortunately, it speaks to, well, not necessarily unfortunate, but it definitely speaks to the breadth with which, like, the sort of data analysis part has spread throughout fandom of, like, I didn't believe in Kyle Lewis last year, and I hope that Kyle Lewis, you know, there are yeah. features of Kyle Lewis, like, he... he he has a really high barrel rate. He, you know, like if we want to get into the, the analytics part, but like we're way too deep at this point to, to go into that. But like there are a lot of things about Kyle Lewis that I think make people think like ah, he's been, you know, is that going to keep happening? So, you know, I think it's hard to, to necessarily see him as like he almost feels like house money in terms of fandom of like I never – at a certain point expected anything from Kyle Lewis and it's been amazing and awesome to watch him play. But like, unless we get at least another year of him sort of like a full year of him, healthy, good, playing well, it's hard to believe. And, and, and that could change a ton, but, but I mean, you're right, Ryan, like we don't talk about him in the same way. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt and he's, the top prospect you know because he was he was trending up towards the top 10 and then he gets hurt like you know falls a normal trajectory i mean is it different completely oh completely you know because he has just been the hype around him and i mean you know how the mariners can market players they had a they had a pushed it well, you're not giving me any answers. Like, I got to write this shit, you know? Like, I got to figure out <laughs> well, how it's going to go. I, I, give, mean, like, I give you an answer. That's true. Kate gave you an answer. Matthew. Kate, I would have to agree with you. One, I think. I I'll, think, yeah, I'm, le- I'm leaning Julio. Well, it's like, and you have to embrace that. Like, you have to be comfortable with it. Like, 
you know, Felix loved it after a while. Like, he didn't, I think he didn't understand it at first. But it's, what's weird is, like, Ichiro was the face of this franchise for a while, and he didn't want it. Like, he didn't like it. I mean, I think he liked being a star, mm. but he didn't want to do any of the stuff that's usually normally associated with it. But because he was so unbelievably good, it did not yeah. matter. I, I think a lot about, and Kate, I think this was from, like, five years ago at this point when you interviewed Julio or you talked to Julio. Um, and he said he one of the people he looked up to was A-Rod because the last he, he thought A-Rod was the last person to break he broke baseball break baseball yeah. like he was so good and he was such a dynamic character for good and for ill that he broke baseball and that was what Julio wanted to do and I think that that is like that is a degree of focus and the degree of like okay so what do I need to do to be that guy you know, and so that's, you know, working out and that's getting better at baseball. That's also, I need to be fluent in English. I need to be, you know, able to talk to my teammates. I need to be able to be, you know, able to talk to the media. So I, I, I got to agree on, on, on Julio for, for the long term for that. Yeah, well, I, I like how you guys are thinking. I mean, it's, you know, it was something Kyle Seeger could never do, never felt comfortable with. And. You know, Robinson Cano and, and Nelson Cruz, they were kind of itinerant in that the fact that they didn't come up through this organization. Right. Should have been, been Dustin Ackley, but that's a podcast for a different day. <laughs> yeah. Sure is. No, I think Julio has definitely been priming himself. You know, we hear a lot of talk about uh, Jared and what he's done to get where he is, but Julio has been, from the day I think he realized he could play pro, pro baseball, has been planning to be the face of a franchise. And it just so happens that the Mariners got to him. So, okay, my last question. Well, this is for per- perpetuity because it's recorded. Who finishes with more career WAR, Julio or Jared Jared Kelnick? <laughs> it's written down. <laughs> Jared Kelnick. I I, I I think the safe bet is if I had to put money on it, I'd go Jared as well. I know Kate's going Julio. I have. If faith I put m- if I put money on it, just because I think there's a higher risk of Julio having some kind right. of injury or i mean he's it's a it's a boom bust kind of thing um but my heart obviously says julio <laughs> yeah. yeah um i don't think jared would let him finish lower than julio i think jared would play until he J- was like 40 yeah, jared's gonna, jared's if it meant, if it meant passing julio. just give me one more at bat i need <laughs> yeah. one walk say, yeah jared's gonna mr 3000 julio <laughs> just yeah. like i need to come out of retirement <laughs> they they invented a new war metric in when he's 55 like all right i'm coming <laughs> like mets yeah i'm coming back home you need to give me another rep Yep. Yeah, like war suddenly takes into account like pitches taken and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I'll stand up there. I'll just watch like fifteen. Uh, I think maybe Kelnick too. Like I mean, like Julio is probably you're right. Like sky's the limit. But you know, some of the swing and miss stuff, and yeah, it just you know, big body. You always worry about big body guys. I worry about Kelnick though. Like he got really, really bulky, really fast, and like that leads to injuries, and then also like. There seems to be an obsession with power, and I don't. Yeah. You don't want to take away the hit ability. And I asked Andy McKay about it, and he gave me a really long answer that didn't really talk about it. But like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah. But um, you know, it it, it referenced Proust and and, oh. and like Dostoevsky, <laughs> um, uh, you know, like dead Irish poets. But 
I, I was I'm going through a West Wing phase, so it's like I'm on like my seventeenth <laughs> seat time of watching the full season. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think Jared fundamentally has the chance to be better. But man, like I think Jared's defense too is going to factor into that. I do see. I mean, Julio's got such a good arm, but yeah. I, I'm surprised by the comments about Jared maybe being a first base slash D. I just I think that's bizarre. Jared got bulky because he had nothing to do other than lift weights and I, well i mean he likes the pictures of himself with the gun he does he definitely <laughs> I mean, does. Like, does i mean jared like look is, I'll, jared I'll, definitely if leads, jared ca- leads julio in horniness online war <laughs> I mean, like, if if jared kelnick was in the pen in a bro tank in a bro tank with a visor wouldn't be out of place drinking a white claw would you be surprised? No. I mean, like, like I mean, like the general look of how he is. Absolutely I mean, not. like, yeah. I mean, like significantly, does he fit in Scottsdale right now? You go toll Scottsdale up right now, like at an LA Fitness, just doing <laughs> curls in front of the mirror. Two hundred and fifteen, two hundred and sixty. Like, come on, like. Yeah. I, but I think I, a lot I, of that I, comes I, off once he's actually taking reps and playing meaningful games and, uh, like, not just bored out. Because Jared cannot stop. Like, he always has to be doing something, and he just had too much time to go to the gym, in my opinion. I find him to be one of the most – like, like obviously, like, Felix. And, like, for me, like, Felix towards the end was vastly more interesting than Felix when he was great. And I wrote so many things about that last year and the the year before that when he lost Mm -hmm. his spot in the rotation and – just like the tragedy of it all, and like he didn't understand why it wasn't good when everybody else kind of understood why it wasn't good, and you know, like it was a tragic figure. But I find Jared Kellnick to be fascinating on every level, like from his upbringing, like basically created in a lab in a lot of ways, and the the select teams, and no high school baseball, and the Legion baseball, select only, the lessons, and all that stuff. I'm just like. I find him fascinating. I want. I, I need to talk to Gavin Lux because Gavin Lux works out with oh, him. Oh yeah. And I need to talk to him because Gavin I wanna, Lux you know. uh, blows up his Instagram all the time. He stopped doing it, which I'm a little sad about. I, that he was always slagging Jared on his Instagram captions. As does many fantastic. other. As do many of the other Mariners players too. Like Kellnick posts some pictures where he's looking a little bicepish, and like you look, and it's Marco and Shed and all those guys going, okay, yeah, we see you. You know, I, I like that about. That's good. Yeah, they definitely bust on each other. They all busted on Justice over that one. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. When it was like his, him, what was it? Something about drip or flow or something. And they just, led by D, just roasted him into oblivion. Did I miss that guy every day, D Gordon. Shortstop D Gordon. I mean, like, I don't know if he can play anymore. And I, I like to think that if he had been even a little bit healthy yeah. and he's that yeah. you know and he's like mitch and all those guys they and shed apparently last year they're too stubborn to not come out yeah but i love that guy yeah d gordon for mariners well, team president yeah, face of the franchise should i vote for him like i mean like Man. they've had eric bedard as the team president for a while so like you can't casey koshman as a team president basically Uh, well ryan we have kept you for long enough thank you so much for doing this we know you've been very busy doing media all over the country um this is usually the point of the show where we have the guests 
plug their work or their Twitter, but I would assume 99% of the Lookout Landing readership knows who you are. You know, no, I mean, like, and I try and comment. I, like, I read the comments when I can. I do a little search, make sure, like, nobody's saying shitty things about me. Um, that one, Rev Halo fan guy hates me. Um, <laughs> he hates everybody. Yeah, so, yeah, no. Um, um, Don't say his name two more times, he'll appear. Yes. <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> um, no, I, I, no, I appreciate all you guys. Like, like, it's important for me sometimes. One, I never read the comments on Seattle Times website because nope, it goes straight nah, to hell. Nope, 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 nope. Um, nope. <laughs> and like, even my Twitter comments. Well, like, I like to read you guys because I, there is a nuance, and I like the sense of humor. I'm, I'm gonna, not gonna lie. I don't get some of the sci-fi references and some of the other stuff because, like, I've never read Harry Potter. I've never seen any of the movies or the Lord of the Rings. So, like, somebody made like a Lord of the Rings reference. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Like, if you, if you go Scorsese or even Star Wars, I'm okay. But, um, but no, like, it's, I, it's we'll send valuable. You some cliff notes for it. Yeah, it's valuable. You know, like, you know, I obviously it's a valuable. Point. There, there needs to be an outlet that isn't the Seattle Times or the Athletic or the News Tribune, if you can get on there without it crashing your website <laughs> or your browser. Um, and I think you guys do that. And I, and like, I know I totally appreciate having me on. Like, you can have me on whenever. Like, I, I like coming on and being able to kind of talk, not as Ryan Divish, <laughs> the, you know, have to be kind of uptight about it. Like, even on the podcast with me and Larry, although, you know, there are times when I've had a couple of crowns on that podcast and it gets a little out of hand. So. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want, we certainly don't want you called in to no, see the I principal. No, I mean, look. I but mean, at this, at this point, there is no principal to see. Yeah. So. No, and, I, and you know what? <laughs> the school is burning down around I us. I mean, I don't want to go like say I'm Kevin Mather, but I, I don't have a filter either. Not like that. But like, you know, you grew up in Montana. We just, there, there's no such thing as passive aggressiveness, you know, or as, like so this is a funny story but like um i call so a lot of my friends left newspapers and went to the athletic and and i flirted with it and you know uh, i yes, didn't I, they were after you they yeah. they very much wanted you to leave yeah. the seattle which i feel like i grudgingly pay the seattle times money because i do not want you to leave yeah and i and i you know and that like i wasn't looking for a raise out of the seattle times but, like, I felt like, you know, hey, I had never gotten a raise there. And I have, like, the second most bylines behind Bob Condota, who is not human. He's a robot. Yep. Um, and he's a cyborg, a, a, a blog-writing cyborg. But, like, yeah, I, you know, I flirted with Athletic and everything. And, and I say other times, and I felt like that's my place. But, like, all this other stuff is good. Like, this is important. Like, the more people write and the more people there is more avenues to write, I think it's just a good thing. And, you know, like I miss, so I miss Dave and Jeff and everybody else. And, and I just feel like the more people we have writing about sports and baseball and, and different opinions, like when I first started, I didn't understand any of the sabermetrics. And now like I make fun of anybody that doesn't. And, um, no, so it's, I appreciate like you guys doing all this. And, you know, I, I was right about, Manipulate service time manipulation again. Blatant <laughs> service time manipulation. I believe I had that. Um, not that I hold grudges. Not, not that I hold grudges. Seattle Gins. Was that that guy? Or was that... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm just calling people out. Um, no, seriously. I 
you know what, Kate? I know you come down to Tacoma a lot, but like, so we're not gonna travel probably for road games because of COVID, obviously, or whatever. So like, if if they're doing games in Cheney or whatever, you guys come down. I'll take. We'll get some eleven eleven sandwiches, or we'll go to the oh Red my Hot. Gosh. We'll go to the Red Hot, get some dogs, hang out. We'll go watch a game. So I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, oh, yeah. and that sounds like a much brighter. This has been a tough few days in uh, Mariners franchise for everybody connected with the team, honestly. But there are brighter days ahead. Things yeah. will get better. And... No, I and like I told you know like I gave up being a fan a long time ago. I was never a Mariners fan. God bless Kirby Puckett. I didn't love the <laughs> I didn't I didn't even love the Twins. I didn't like the Twins. I just love Kirby Puckett more yeah. than anything in the world because yeah. he was similar similar body build and height. But no, like I respect the fact too that like you guys like like. Being a fan is hard, and when whatever organization you're cheering for disappoints you consistently in a myriad of ways, from <laughs> on the field performance to Zoom calls with the Rotary Club, I mean it's it's tough. And I, I like I respect anybody that has it, and and I always tell people this: I, I'll never tell anybody how to be a fan. Like it, it's your own personal thing. How you want to do it is yours, and you know, like I mean, like I. I don't want anybody to tell me not to be a fan of, you know, Friends reruns or of, you know, Yellowstone or any of that stuff. I mean, like, it's it's the only thing I have. The things you love, the things you love, should be yours to love. No, and exactly, and it's 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 an imperfect love too. Like, if you think about it, I mean, it's an imperfect love, and and it's a it's a really cool thing, and I'm jealous for a lot of people that they have that. But at the same time, too, I also don't get kicked in, kicked in the groin by all this <laughs> yeah. other stuff, too. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long period of, of groin kicking. But like we said, uh, we are happy to have you on the beat providing, to asking the tough questions that we can't ask because we don't have access. So <laughs> thanks for being out there and doing that. And uh, we're really looking forward to you getting to cover some actual baseball and not the franchise self-immolating so all right thanks for thanks for coming on ryan (laughs) yeah no problem anytime thank you so much everyone out there be like ryan divish and read (laughs) lookoutlanding.com i'm matthew don't i'm matthew robertson when you do it (laughs) that's true that's true i admit it let's say i'm that guy you got, yeah, name searching never never leads to anything good. But I'm Matthew Robertson. That was Kate Prusser and John Troopin. Follow us all on Twitter, readlookoutlanding.com. And I guess subscribe to the Seattle Times if you want more of Ryan. <laughs> but until next time, see you later, folks. Bye. Goodbye. I know most people going to say what they want to say. Most people going to smoke what they want to smoke. And others, they don't care about no other things.